Chad and Mark, we want to know. Uh, sorry if it's a little bit of a lame podcast this time. We're both tired. Um, I don't know, maybe a busy week or the lack of bike riding during the week and then going one for, going for one today. Um, we'll try to get inspired here. We don't want to know. Hopefully you do today. <laughs> Let's see how it pans out. We, uh, we got a whole pot of coffee sitting beside us, and we're a little bit stumped uh, about what we're going to talk about. But uh, we were just talking about General Butt Naked and uh, Vice News and what Vice used to be compared to what they are now. Um, I used to really, really enjoy Vice, but yeah, I think you're right. They're a little bit more social justice warrior now than they used to be. Yeah, well, I don't know. I guess they went from like shock media to now they're just preachy media. In both cases, they're kind of... Uh Pulling, pulling at emotional strings to some degree to get to get a response, and I guess if that's what they're successful doing, you can't blame them for doing it. No, not at all. The uh, and I don't know if they were going after like the shock media type news articles, or they were just going after news articles no one else were, and they were shocking. But uh, we were talking about General Butt Naked and that interview that uh, they did with him in a. Was, it wasn't an unmarked grave. It was a, an open grave. It was a grave that uh, someone had recently stolen a body out of. So they decided to sit in it and have an interview about what it's like to eat human meat. Yeah, and busting the people that are selling human meat now. And So anyways, crazy world out there. And uh, here we are in Canada acting like it's a rough day because uh, we had a ride through the rain and we're a little bit tired. Yeah, maybe that was it. Maybe this, the rain kind of took it out of us today. Maybe. But I guess it's something to be said about like, the normalization of how a situation can uh, change. Like uh, I've always said, it's you might not be, you know, maybe you're a small child born in Africa with AIDS and you won't make it to the age of 10 and every day you've got to fight to survive. And uh, someday you, you walk your 10 miles to get your water and you drop it halfway and maybe that's the worst thing that had ever happened to you. Whereas you take some spoiled child who's had everything given to them and they don't get a pony. Uh, in relative comparison, that's the worst thing that's ever happened to them. So it, our wiring is going to trigger that the both ways. It's both going to be this is the worst thing we've ever had to deal dealt with. And I guess that's, you know, there you go. That's your, your context. That's, uh, you know what, it's probably so true because we watch kids in our society, in our culture, lose their minds over a chocolate bar or a toy or whatever. And uh, they live a pretty stinking good life, but it's all relative to what's to going on. To that frame, yeah. To that frame. Yeah. And uh, you, uh, I think I saw a meme a while ago or a meme a while ago that, that was showing a bunch of African kids running around outside, you know, on the, the edge of the jungle or the plains or whatever it was. And they say, can you believe North American kids are stuck inside staring at a TV? <laughs> they can't get outside. Um, well, it, but on the other hand, it's kind of, I guess that's, that's kind of just that, uh, that narrative that we like to put towards kids these days. It's more of, can you believe that kids that uh, have access to the most amazing entertainment advances that the human species has ever seen yeah. wouldn't take advantage of that constantly. Yeah. Yeah. It would be crazy if they didn't, right? And yeah. it's sort of crazy that they do. We were talking about it on the bike ride on uh, what would our kids be like if our social media, or not social media, but the internet was only for knowledge and not for entertainment. Um, how How would those kids be different if they had all the knowledge that they have access to right now, but they weren't using uh, Nintendos or Wiis or Xboxes as entertainment. So they could uh, Google or search any kind of game to play outside, hunting, fishing, um, 
orienteering, what else? There's there's a million things. Oh, just that places to go, things to see. Right. What are other kids doing right now? Um, I know my daughter loves to watch videos of other kids playing with toys. Like, why don't you just play with your toys? <laughs> that is, uh, you know what? I've seen uh, my son do uh, do similar things. Like, uh, the big thing for him is watching other people play video games. And when we were a kid, if we didn't get a chance to play a video game, I think we talked about having Ataris or televisions when we were a kid. And, uh, you know, maybe playing them for an hour or two or maybe three at, at most. But if you didn't get a turn to play, you just got up and left. Like, and now there, there's people, probably millions of kids, just watching other kids play video games. Yeah, I think that frame's changed on how you define who you are based on on uh, electronics. Now, that's like it didn't mean anything if you didn't play the latest video game at your friend's house. You just got up and left, like you're saying. Yeah. Um, I think that's a big deal now to be the one kid that hasn't played whatever the latest game is. That t- changes your social status in your group and. I think it's a uh, it, it's it's a different world. Um, I know, like looking back on what I thought was really entertaining as a kid, I couldn't even deal with sitting through now as an adult. So like, I only, like what? Oh, like a GI Joe cartoon or something. Oh. <laughs> in <laughs> yeah, hindsight, exactly. like I could not sit through uh, that today. But at the time, like it was so rare that they came on TV. It was like the highlight of my my day. It was Saturday mornings when we were a kid. Like maybe I think when we hit our teens, there was maybe something in the afternoon when we got off school, but. Uh, for the most part, you had to wait till Saturday to watch cartoons. Oh, yeah. I remember, um, it's funny, uh, getting up at like 5 a.m. Yep. On, a, on a Saturday morning to watch cartoons that were all reruns that I'd seen before and do that pretty much until noon, yep. nonstop. Yep. Um, but, you know, you know what, I think what it comes down to, though, is like I think a really big problem is everyone's always about the kids these days, and I think it's more about the parents these days. You don't hear that said nearly enough, I don't think. Yeah, I totally agree, and I try to be uh, an active dad, go to the gym, do some yoga, get out, do some bike riding, some hiking, and, you know, try to take my kids along when it's appropriate and uh, um, as often as I can. Uh, but, yeah, they uh, I think a lot of parents just sit there and watch their kids, you know, melt away into that... Uh, imaginary world i think people are lazy i think it really does come down to we will fall to the lowest level we can possibly get away with yeah and unfortunately that's true with parenting too um it's it's i don't know we were talking about how you get some parents that are just phenomenal parents they 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 make sure their kids eat healthy they make sure they're in positive uh activities excuse me that will uh help them develop various skills uh they make sure that they're they're well educated the only problem is they're raising kids in an environment full of just garbage people raising their garbage children. And, you know, as much as it might not be great to be taking your kids to McDonald's for every meal of the day, and your kid needs to have that as an experience because every other kid around them is going to have that experience. The last thing you need is for your kid to grow up to be a young adult that has their own money and their own freedom, and they realize they can now eat as much candy as they possibly want. And because they've never grown up with it, that's yeah. all they do now. Yeah. Well, and, and we're in the information age, right? There's no reason for people to to go down that path because the, the truth of what we should be doing with our kids is at your fingertips or on your phone. But does that kind of dull it, though? You're constantly being told what you should be doing. You don't argue whether it's true or not, but yeah. it's so easy to ignore because you've been doing it your entire life. We really need to get a psychologist on this show that can kind of, you know maybe uh, bring some light to this subject because we've talked a couple times about people and not knowing exactly why they do things. Like to me, it's 
it's um, it's difficult to understand why people aren't trying to improve every day. Like that, that to me is the essence of life. That that every day you got to be doing something to get a little bit better, or try a little bit harder, or learn a little bit more, or something like that. Um, but most people just you know they get done work, they go sit on their couch, they watch the boob tube until ten, eleven o'clock at night, catch a little. I guess Letterman's not on anymore. What's on uh, late night? Jimmy <laughs> Fallon or something like that. I, I don't have cable. I don't know what's <laughs> on at late at night. It's funny. Uh, yeah, maybe like I'm, I imagine if you had a psychologist, they'd come in and tell you something. I'd make the assumption, though, they're just going to come in and tell us like a very uh, well-spoken and well-referenced uh, version of people are lazy. Yeah, that's unfortunate. It's but I, funny, I'd like, see why, I, I could see why you're thinking that way. Like a lot of people um, only do the minimum they have to. Like, well, I'm not going to do eight and a quarter hours because I'm only getting paid for eight. And uh, Oh, I think in this day, most people do like seven and a quarter hours <laughs> if they're supposed to do eight because they know everyone else is doing that and they won't get fired for it. Yeah. Like they know if, if everyone, if you're supposed to do eight and everyone's doing seven and a half, you're going to do seven and a quarter because it's not that far off from right. what everyone else is doing. Yeah. Like you want to get away with as much as possible. But that's the problem is like when you get people that are unfulfilling jobs, like what's your motivation to be here? You're not here out of passion. You're yeah. here because you have to be. Right. I remember you're talking about doing the minimum. And I remember uh, a shop teacher, Mr. Brown, at my high school. He, um, I think he's re- or he's now passed away, but he was very old school. I graduated in '91, and he still smoked in the school. <laughs> So he was very, very old school. But I remember him being so strict on time that he goes, if, if you're 30 seconds late and, uh, you know, I say that's okay. Well, the next person that comes in 30 seconds behind you says, well, he, I'm only 30 seconds longer than him before we know and half the class is gone. So he says, I have a zero tolerance for lateness because everybody that's late, the next person is going to say, well, not that much later than that person. And that's, I think, the mentality that you're talking about that he was fighting against was that, well, if he's only doing this much, then I shouldn't have to do that much more. But in that same token, I hear so many people complaining that, you, uh, um, they don't have enough in their life and there's not enough money and the jobs aren't paying enough and, you know, there's not enough time in the day. Well, you know, we find time to go out and ride a bike at least once a week for a couple of hours. We go to the gym, we go do yoga, we do a podcast. Um, I have a full-time job. You have, I think, pretty close to a full-time job. Um, plus we're parents and you're a single parent. There's lots of time in the day to get stuff done that you want to if you're motivated to do it you don't i don't think that it's right that you people feel they have the right to complain that t- things are tough but they're not doing anything to to put the extra effort in yeah i i don't know i think we just live in a world where you can give up and people choose to i, I don't know like i there's not much to not much to say about it people are lazy and they'll take the shortest route they can uh, if you're not giving someone fulfillment and they're not willing to give it to themselves, then it's not going to happen. Um, the problem with, I think, a lot of companies is they don't treat people like resources. They treat them like machinery. And uh, machinery doesn't need to be motivated to do its job properly. People do. Yeah. Um, and you could say, like, well, why does an employer need to have the responsibility that it needs to make sure that its employees are fulfilled? I'm like, well, they don't. But if you want a good product, you do. And if you look at it as any sort of uh, cost versus profit analysis, then the money you put into making your people more effective is money that you're actually making as a business. So yeah, I could agree back. more. 
Yeah. That, that brings up an, inter- an interesting thought for me was uh, universal income. So if it's true and that people are going to do the very, very minimum, um, which I'm not sure that it's the majority of the population, but it's a good percentage of the population for sure. If there was a universal income where everyone got their basic needs taken care of, right? They know that the the minimum you have to pay to live is a thousand dollars a month for your rent. You know, the minimum for your bill say is three hundred fifty dollars a month, and the minimum for groceries is say six hundred dollars a month for for a family, um, and maybe it's more than that. So let's say two hundred dollars per person per week. So um, no, that's a lot. Let's say that to cover all your basic bills, no extras, no vacations, no extra clothes, you're looking at uh, $1,500 a month per person. So everyone over the age of 18 gets $1,500 a month to, um, uh, to live. Is that going to help people be more creative? Is that going to help people get ahead in the world? Or do you think that most people are going to take that and uh, just sit on the couch more? Watch more TV. I don't know. Um, see, my problem with this is there's some very intelligent people that seem to think that this is a good idea, and I honestly don't understand why, which makes me think that there's more factors to be considered in a situation like this. I get where they're coming from where it says that if you don't have to worry about paying your bills, you have the opportunity to take risks to follow passion, and as a result, you'll have better things coming out of our society. I think that's going to be true in some regards, but I think in a lot of regards, it's going to just mean a bunch of very lazy people that don't do anything. And there's also the fact of the market. Is the market going to take advantage of this? Are you going to implement laws to prevent the market from taking care of advantages of it? If you know that every single person is going to be getting free money and they make bad choices, you're definitely going to be marketing to that somehow. So does that mean we have to force the market to not market off of that, or do we have to force people receiving money? To not uh, spend their money on certain things. Yeah. Um, at what point does this become communism? Right. The uh, it's funny as you were talking, I was just thinking back to when Alberta got uh, all that free money. Right. Every bell Albertan got a four hundred dollar check or a five hundred dollar check from uh, from Ralph Klein from the Alberta government. And as soon as they announced they were going to send those checks out, there was like government money sales, a Ralph Klein sale, like, oh, we want your $500, come here and and uh, spend it on a new couch or a new TV. Look, you can get a 42-inch TV for the exact same amount the government just yeah. gave you. Knowing, knowing the government, they will issue their checks to everybody on the same day. It'll be whatever, the whatever day of whatever month. And I guarantee you that day will have crazy sales right. on like everything, right. like especially liquor stores and that sort of thing. Do you do? Would you blame local businesses for trying to get their piece of the pie? Like, uh, I, as a manager of a of a local business, we look at every opportunity to to get money, not to rip people off or to lie to them, which I think a lot of people do. But we look for every avenue. So I think it's really hard to kind of view businesses as ripping people off. Like there's going to be some black and white examples like that. But I think for the most part, you're putting yourself in a situation where you can argue that what you're doing is for the best for the customer as much as yeah. it is for you. Yeah. Like he if deserves someone, a new TV. Well, hey, this guy is an alcoholic. He's going to spend money on booze anyways. We might as well give him a sale Ish. so he's not spending as much on it. Yeah. And we'll time it for a time that he actually has money so he doesn't have to go rob somebody <laughs> to get the money for this sale. You know, like, it's... Oh, it's that's you can, gross. You can really <laughs> twist things to make it work, right? Yeah, and I think people do in their minds. I, I'm not opposed to um, a universal income. I think it's a perfect world theory. Yeah. It'll never exist in our world because there's way too many... 
too many issues with government operating inefficiently. Um, and then you factor in just, uh, I don't know, just how people will take advantage of that broken system on top of it. Um, we'd have to live in a utopia. It, it, like We're talking about communism, essentially, is what we're talking about with that. And I'm not totally opposed to that. Communism is a really great theory, mm. in theory. Um, the problem is, is no one's been able to implement communism. No. And I think a, f- a big factor of that is it's not meant to be it's not meant to function in a large society. Like it's meant to function in like a few hundred people at the most. Yeah. And, um, it's also meant to be used by people that have the best intentions in, 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 uh, in mind, which it never does. People are always going to look for an angle. It seems like every communist society turns into a dictatorship and, uh, um, mass, uh, massacre, um, uh, in some way or another, there's starvation or genocide or something else. And it's unfortunate because I think you're right that communism as a, an idea is a good idea. Well, in all fairness, though, all it's not just communism. All social systems uh, have turned out that way when yeah. it was allowed to. Right. It just happens to be that communism tends to, I think, take over society after a major change. Yeah. Usually, it's something bad's happened, and now it's a time to rebuild. Everyone hates government, so they look at communism. I don't know if it's necessarily communism's fault that it doesn't work. It's I think it's more of the type of situ- the environment you have to have for communism to be considered. Uh, fascism is a very popular thing, whether you want to call that um, dictators or kings or however. Right. That usually goes to the same regard, but due to the fact that it's just such black and white, open, admitted power and force it holds itself a little stronger. It's not trying to pretend that it's not that. Yeah. And then with, so with the universal income, uh, if, uh, if we were to do it for just easy math, uh, we have about 7 million people in Canada, probably 5 million. Is that right? 30. Is it 30 million? Okay. So 30 million people in Canada, let's say, uh, 20,000 of them over the age of 18, um, or 20 million, sorry, <laughs> over the age of 18. <laughs> yeah, there's easy math in there. Uh, and you gave them $1,000 a month each. That's $20 billion. Um, I really don't think it's a lot of money. Like, I don't think the issue is how much money you're giving them. I think you could easily find that. Even if we just went into debt doing it, it wouldn't be that much more money than we go into debt doing a lot of other large products. I don't think that's the issue. I just don't. But where would the money come from? So if we did universal income, then they would start taxing businesses. They would start taxing rich people. I think it's easy. I don't think, I think there's a lot of things that our government is willing to spend $20 billion on without thinking too much about. I think this is easily something they could just say, yeah, we're doing it. We'll go into debt to do it. $20 billion a year is not that much for a large government to go into debt for. Yeah. That's per month. Right. Still. (laughs) That's only $1,000. Yeah. Per person over the age of 18. But if you look at how fast America's going into debt. To who, though? Well, they're going into debt to China mostly, Yeah, right? well, right? to the world banks and that yeah. sort of thing. But, yeah, to the, to the Rothschilds in China and all that sort of Anyways, um, <clears throat> I don't think it's, I don't think the money's the issue. I think they could definitely pull it out of somewhere. Um, I, the problem, though, is they're going to, we see it in Alberta right now where we have a very huge conflict between government and industry. Yeah. Um, government is by nature powerful and the industry is the most powerful industry in the world being the, the oil industry. 
and you see them sticking it to each other. So the the government comes in and uses it as an excuse to, to raise taxes on businesses, which really didn't need to happen, but they see it as an easy in. Mm-hmm. And then business uses that as an excuse to raise prices, even though they're not proportionate to the taxes. So they're actually like, oh, well, let's turn this, you know, let's make lemonade out of these lemons. We'll actually make money off of this increase. Right. And I, I really don't understand how you could do universal income without that happening. Yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly. Like the there's someone going to take advantage of it. So it boils back down to being um, uh, an advocate for yourself and, and putting the work in, planning something, working hard, you know, being an entrepreneur, um, uh, you know, having dual income, passive income. There's, there's a bunch of things that we need to do, and it wouldn't change if it was universal income or no universal income. It, we'd be right back in the same, pl- same I place. I think so, yeah, I really do. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Maybe I should have stuck to fighting when I was a kid. Yeah, well, if uh, if, if 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 the health wasn't an issue, then I <laughs> yeah. really would have a hard time arguing with that. I think we. Uh, I don't think we talked about it in the lot last podcast, but we definitely talked about that. If uh, science has gotten to the point where they could just fix bones and brains and and everything else very very quickly, I think there would be a lot more dudes fighting regularly <laughs> if you could uh, know that oh after this fight no matter how this guy stomps the crap out of me they're just going to give me a needle or run me through this machine and I'm going to be fine yeah there'd be a lot more people but I think it'd still be a very small community of people um, I, I think because I don't think the ability to heal changes the fear of getting hurt in the first place uh, the mm, fighting community is a very small community and having it double really wouldn't be, maybe be, I don't think it'd be a noticeable be change. Big, yeah, it's one of the. F- it's actually it's interesting. It's one of the few things that I think you and I would both go like, yeah, we're totally on board with this. We're going to go way over the top. Yeah. Yet the average person wouldn't also. No. Because it's most times when you see a situation of like, oh, if this one thing changed, I would go just absolutely ape tits over it. But so would everybody else. So I really wouldn't stand. This would be one of those few things where I think we would be some of the few people that are like, oh yeah, let's go get our heads kicked in every weekend now. <laughs> Yeah, I uh, I remember when we were doing martial arts in the, the church uh, foyer there and people would see us and they would be, I don't want to say aghast, but they, they were shocked to see, you know, us hitting each other or a woman striking or a woman getting hit and, and it was just part of the game, right? It was part of the, the training when we were sparring or whatever and uh, some people were really blown away by that. More people than I thought there would be for sure. Well, it's a different, I don't know, it's hard to say, like, um, I, I don't, I have a hard time putting myself in the situation of what it was like the first time I experienced it because I don't remember it was such a long time ago and yeah. To be honest, you're kind of indoctrinated into it slowly when you get involved in fighting. So uh, it's not like I ever just walked into the middle of two guys trying to take each other's heads off in front of my face, right? Right. Or it could just be from a background of being used to violence and just the street and that sort of thing, too. Like, oh, these guys are, they're friends and this is well lit and everyone's sober and (laughs) they seem to be in control of themselves and therefore that's nothing compared to what I'm used to seeing. Yeah. But yeah, the violence is something that I think for a lot of people just really scares them. Um, it's that, and I think it's like anything, you've got to build up to it. I remember having one gentleman come to the self-defense course there and we were doing pad work and, you know, he was a pretty fit guy. But uh, when it came to, we were doing some sparring drills. So, you know, one person throw, the other person defends. And uh, I was working with him because he was brand new. I'm like, go ahead, throw punches the way we would just practice and aim for my nose and, you know, try to hit me. And he was 
very, very much against that. And I kind of stopped him to talk to him to find out what was going on. And he's like, I've never so hit let's, anybody. So let's stick beside and discuss why you're a pussy. <laughs> but it's, you know, we live in that society where people are not forced to or they're not in a position to that, you know, maybe the majority of people that are in fights are looking for fights. And I know that was true in my youth that I was, uh, I would, go looking for them or not avoid the areas where I know they're going to be for sure because it just, it wasn't scary to me. It was sort of fun. And even if I got my nose cracked or my eye swelled up or my lip bloodied, um, it wasn't that big of a deal. I just didn't find that getting beat up was that big of a deal. And so I just assumed that everybody else would be okay with it. And then when you meet a full grown man that's, that's never struck anybody ever in his entire life, I was like, that is unreal to me. I just had no no concept that someone could go through their life without some sort of violence. Well, and I think that's where the kind of the big talk comes into. I think just about everyone's used to dealing with some sort of physical threat of conflict, yet very few people actually have. Yeah. So that's where you get people who do talk real big. Um, I can't tell you how many people I've had tell me like oh i'm gonna you know if anyone ever does this i'll fucking kill them or yeah i'll knock you the fuck out if you do i'm like do you know how to knock somebody out (laughs) i don't think you do i would i would guess that most people um even if they've had some kind of violent conflict in their life they they don't have the ability to to take a shot or to give a shot properly if you've ever hit somebody in the skull with your bare hand you know it sucks. Oh, you, yeah. You, you don't want to bare-knuckle them on top of the head if you're not doing it every single day. You're, uh, you're going to be in a lot of pain. It's funny because um, a lot of people have that, that opinion of what they would do in a fight. And I'm trying to go back now and think about, like, so much of my time is spent thinking about, like, fight science and all those different aspects. But to go back to, like, I think what it was like before I knew how to fight and what my thoughts were about fighting and how they would always be shattered any time I was in a fight. I think one of the biggest things that was a surprise to me, fighting actual fights compared to what I thought would happen in a fight, and this is even after fighting, you always have a plan in your head. Oh, if this guy comes at me, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, and then he's going to be done. And you always forget two factors, and that's the athleticism involved in fighting, and that that guy's got a plan too. That's right, exactly. That we, uh, you watch a movie or a fight on TV or, um, you know, a commercial or something like that, and you see somebody do something, and you're like, oh, well, that's that looks pretty easy. It's just, you know, you do this little movement, and then that directs them out of the way, and then you throw your one-two and your kick, and then they go down. But the truth of the matter, like you said, is that everybody's got a plan, and it's whoever's got the better plan, the athleticism, and has practiced their plan is the one that's going to win the fight. And it's interesting, too. I was um, I want to go back to your point about people punching people that can't do that. But um, so this week I was talking to a friend of ours about how I've been dealing with uh, switching over from cycling to fighting and how stuff like how just uh, pushing myself to ride, to sprint um, when I get out there to do that is so difficult and the lactic acid buildup and the fatigue and going up and down in peaks and valleys with dealing with that. And uh, he made a really valid point. He just goes, you know, like just because you're you're able to fight and you're good at that, you can be physical and you understand your limitations and how to. Do, he's like, that doesn't mean that you're good at every sport. Yeah. It's like he's like, you've seen guys come into the gym to a, to a martial arts club, and they're in amazing shape. They're phenomenal. Like they're athletic. Maybe they were like even like 
amateur level soccer players or football players or bodybuilders. Yeah. They're in great shape. They've done, they know how their body works. They know how to do stuff. And they gas out like 30 seconds into class or sparring, definitely sparring. Like if the average person, I don't care how fit you are. If you're not a fighter, you're not lasting 30 seconds in a fight. No. Um, it's a specific type of conditioning. And he was like, well, what, what makes you think that fighting is any different? Yeah. Just because you're good at fighting doesn't mean that you're going to be good at like cycling or running. He's like, you've got to do it. Yeah. You've got to put the effort in. And I was like, oh, man, I never even <laughs> I never even considered that. Yeah, and uh, he, I think he's absolutely right that uh, um, I think there's some exceptional athletes out there, but they're the really, really high-end guys. Oh, I'm no sure. If, what like, you put yeah. them in, they're, they're going to do well at it. If your life is to be a professional athlete, like you just train and that's what you do, then yeah. I'm sure you can adjust a lot easier than I can. Unless it's golf. Or bowling. I said athlete. <laughs> They're professional athletes. There's a ball involved. They're professional. Well, are they professional athletes or do they perform or do they participate in a, a, a professional sport? I'm not sure. I, I guess there's some sort of definition to be argued that I don't understand. Maybe there, we I shouldn't think. be bashing golfers, but uh, I think they'd be. We considered... should absolutely bash golfers. <laughs> you're you fucking suck if you're if you're a golfer. Uh, you I know will, and I will fight you. <laughs> we, we'll do this, okay? Anyone who has a problem with me bashing golfers, I will come to your golf course and I will try to out golf you, and then you come to my club and we will try and out fight. <laughs> and at the end of this, we'll talk about whose sport is stupid. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, well. It's a little hard to argue with someone like Tiger Woods to to get the kind of. I money. could fuck that guy up <laughs> so bad. That might be true. I'm not. Uh, I'm not denying that, but. He has. I'm sorry. We're using my 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 uh, standard of how we evaluate <laughs> sports, and that's whether I could kick your ass in my sport or not. Yeah, I um, I had a conversation like that when I was in Australia. I did a Kentucky tour there, and I don't like like lizards and bugs, and uh, I'm a bit of a pansy when it comes to birds, that kind of stuff. Birds are fucking creepy. Man. Oh, they're so they're little dinosaurs. They're all dinosaurs. Yeah, the and bugs, they're all evil. The li- they are. They, they just think about eating. And killing that's and stealing it. your soul, right? I'm pretty sure 100%. They, if you look at them long enough in the eyes, they'll steal your a soul. A little bit's gone, yep. Yeah, so, anyways, we were at the crocodile farm, uh, place down there, and they brought out a crocodile. It was probably, I think, the body was about 12 or 14 inches, and the tail is another eight or 10 inches or something like that. So, it's not right. that big, it's 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 so like it's, a foot to two feet. Yeah, two, it's, a foot it's, of body and two feet of everything. Yeah, and it like its body was skinnier than my forearm. And uh, our our tour manager there, and this is a time when I was um, uh, training out of a, a really good MMA club uh, at the time, so I was really really fit, top of my game for being you know late twenties. Uh, he's like, here, hold the 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 crocodile. I'm like, I don't want to hold the crocodile. And he's like, will you be in a pansy? I'm like, well, won't you go in the parking lot to call me a pansy because you might be able to hold the crocodile but i guarantee you that if i got to unleash what i know on you the way that crocodile wants to unleash what it knows on me you're gonna lose every time and uh he's kind of like oh i never thought about it that way like yeah yeah you're real brave to hold the crocodile but there's all kinds of braveness out there it's an interesting uh, opinion to have because it kind of implies that if you're not good at absolutely everything in the world you're a pansy right which means by defa- definition everyone's a pansy we're all a bunch of babies so if we all are then what does it matter uh, yeah it's an interesting <laughs> argument i guess because everybody wants to be compared to um, what they're good at, right? Well, there's always something that you're going to be a pussy at. Right? Oh, absolutely. Ask me to hold a bird. Watch what happens. I'll, 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 I'll cower like a 
six-year-old boy in the corner. Like, there's oh, just absolutely. no courage inside like me when it comes bird? to that stuff. I don't stuff. understand how the people can do that. No, I don't either. It's like, yeah, anyways, it, it, it's it's not a good place to be as a man that I can't handle bugs and rodents and uh, uh, birds and stuff like that, but I can't. But I can fight. I uh, I could take on, I, I'd be less worried taking on Cowboy Cerrone <laughs> Then I would be holding a bird. What if you took on a bird? <laughs> I uh, I don't want to take on a bird. I don't want to yeah. have anything to do with those I, damn I things. I totally agree with that. On our ride today, we drove by some, um, they're like pelicans. They look like a pelican cross with a swan. I wanted to look up what those were. And holy fuck, are they disgusting looking animals. And I think if one of them came near me, I would probably go into full-blown like fight-or-flight mode and get the hell out of there sure, as panic. soon as I could. Yeah, those things are just, those, those weird... <laughs> neck sacks that they have that's uh, disgusting no. they're huge gross bird yeah i just i couldn't do it well i'm glad we have that in common you're not going to make fun of me for being chicken shit of birds although it might be our next challenge i think oh that's not so back okay. with the whole thing about getting oh sorry hang on i want to tell you about the challenge so i it. i did sort of um overcome a little bit of that fear at the zoo. So I went with a bunch of friends, and the friends know that I'm afraid of birds. And it, you like heel-kicked a flamingo? <laughs> I did not. But we had to walk through the cage that has all the owls, and uh, I think it's just owls in that particular cage. So you go in the door, you close the door, you walk through, go through the next door, and then you're out of the cage. And as we open the door, there's dead mice everywhere. And they, they take dead mice and they lay them out there for the, the birds to go after them. And I thought, I'm just going to walk through here calmly and not be a little bitch about it because I'm with my kids and my wife and I don't want to embarrass myself in front of friends and family. So I sucked it up, took a deep breath, and I walked through the cage. And the birds were all good. They didn't come near me. I didn't have to spinning roundhouse kick an owl in the face or nothing. So I made it through the None cage. None of them called you a pansy. <laughs> None of them called me a pansy. In fact, my one buddy who normally makes fun of me, when we got to the other side, he's like, I was pretty impressed that you weren't a big baby about this. <laughs> so I, uh, I'm getting closer to being brave in that, but I I'm not working that hard at trying to be brave at that. Well, you know, I guess it is. It's funny. I kind of, the large predatory birds bug me a lot less than the the other birds. Like, like hawks and yeah, owls. Yeah, like today, and... we, today we, we were fortunate we got to see two large owls. Like I'm guessing, what would they be? Probably not like those horn owls, but something, something pretty big. Maybe it might have been that, but they're very large owls. Those don't bug me. I see like eagles all the time when I, uh, at work driving around the mountains. They don't bug me. Hawks don't bug me. Just gross water birds definitely bug me, like yeah. ducks and geese. Those are, oh, <laughs> that just gross. really gets. So anyways, we're talking about people uh, throwing a punch. And uh, it, it's an interesting thing because you'd think that, like, most people walk around and they're like, I could kick somebody's ass if I had to. Uh, so in, when I train, I, I'm a bit of a, what's the word I want to use here? I'm a bit of an idiot, I guess. I'm a bit, of, I really enjoy the old school tough guy mentality of the old school boxing gym. And I'll take any opportunity I possibly can to get my ass kicked as long, like I'm kind of, I'm like, what's that, that old, uh, that old, it was like a Adage. movie or something. No, no it's like, it's like anywhere but the face, anywhere but the face. <laughs> That's how I am in training. You can beat the shit out of me as yeah. long as it's not in the face. Okay. I don't want a concussion, <laughs> but I will take a sucker punch. I will take a leg kick. I don't care. I, I wear pads purely to be polite. I am more than happy to have you kick my ass. Yeah. And so something I'm really proud of is my core um, training. 
Sorry, I found the owl that we saw today. I don't think that was it. That's no. the great horned owl that you found there. I don't, I don't think. I don't know. It's hard to say. I don't see them often enough to know. Me neither. It was a big owl, though. Like we're talking, like probably like what two and a half feet tall. The 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 one that was lower in the tree definitely was close yeah. to two feet. Like good 16, 18 inches yeah. for sure. So maybe it is. Maybe it is. Yeah. Um. Uh. So yeah. So I'm a big fan. Like I really, any chance I can get to let someone punch me in the stomach, I take. I'm I'm very proud of my core conditioning. Yep. And my and once you have the muscle built up and you know how to take a punch like that, it's really just a matter of it's a matter of pain management. Right. And I'm at the point now where it hurts me just as much as it hurts anybody else. I just don't deal with it the same way. Yeah. I I take it as um, a very strong indicator of what's happening. Right. And so as a, I so I, I take that chance to build that anytime I can. So if we're normally you wear what's called a belly pad, it kind of looks like a giant WWF wrestling belt that's padded, and you get right. punched in the stomach, and yeah. it makes it so it doesn't hurt much. If I can, I remove that, and we'll do core exercises where your partner practices punching body shots, and I'll stand there and take it. Right. And I've become somewhat famous for this in my club, where even my coach will come and stand around and watch um, when it's my turn to, to be on the receiving end of, uh, of body conditioning. And I'm, I'm very happy that I just stand there and take it, because I know my coach is standing there waiting for that one shot that drops me so he can laugh at me. But I, yeah. it's, it's never happened. And it's... Uh, it's what's funny is most guys like I'm at a, a fairly high level club. I'm dealing with guys who are fighters. There's no question about it, and it's not unusual. I'd say fifty percent of the guys that I, I take off that pad and I'm like, just hit me in the stomach. I'm like, you can hit me as hard as you want. Trust me, you cannot hurt me. Most guys have a like I'd say half of them have a problem hitting me. Period. Definitely hitting me hard. Um, they just cannot deal, like, even though they're fighters, they have a hard time. They're not competition level fighters, but as on a, on a recreation level, they're serious fighters. They cannot hit a person when it's outside of the realms of holding pads or light touch sparring, uh, to actually go and hit someone in the body unprotected as hard as they can is outside of their comfort zone, which blows my mind. So I think it's the... The old thought process is uh, you give what you want to get. And whether people know it deep down or not, they don't want to hurt somebody. You think that they, they're, they're selling something they know it's coming back to them. Right. Like maybe. if maybe, I, I don't know for sure, because we used to have competitions where we'd take our belly pads off and just see how tough we could be, right? You're just eating punch. I mean, and you see them all coming. So it's, 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 Easier to do that than when it's in a real fight and you eat a body shot that you're not. But that's ready why it's for. conditioning, right? Hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, and and uh, um, it is tough to take them and build your conditioning up to where you can take those shots from bigger guys. Uh, it's not even bigger guys. Some of the little guys hit damn hard too. It's a little bit of sting on that, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, there there's some people that just don't. Well, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier. They don't want to put the extra effort in, right? Like to to hit hard takes a lot of effort. And like, well, we're just here to get this amount of exercise. I don't want to push myself, you know, this far past um, uh, where I did last time. Where yeah, there's other guys that will push. You know, they'll do double if they can. If they can get it out of their body, they'll do double what they did yeah. the day before. It's interesting because there's definitely that that willingness for violence. There's guys that. I'll do this. I've done this conditioning with a bunch of guys, and the guys who will actually come at me and hit me hard, yeah, versus the guys who just they they really need some talking into just to hit me lightly in the first place. Uh, it really changes how I view them, and yeah, you can call it what you want, <laughs> but 
I have a hard time respecting somebody who won't hit another human being, especially in the circumstances of like there's nothing at risk here. Yeah. I mean, short of them being handicapped or, you know, mentally ill, you, you don't, there's people that want But those abuse. are people that you don't really like judge, right? right. On yeah, those yeah, levels yeah. anyways. Like yeah. just a normal person who just isn't comfortable with violence just... It's like I don't I don't say I, I don't judge them negatively, but I also don't judge them positively. Whereas right. there's guys who there's some guys that I know currently I've been training with a guy. He's he's very just very super friendly, very supportive when you're working with like training with him. Yeah. Just an all around good really, job guy. Yeah, good job. Yeah, really right. really nice guy. Really <laughs> yeah. nice guy. He's newer, but he's definitely gone from like new to like mid level very fast. Oh wow. And the guy hit me harder than anybody's hit me so far nice. in training. And it immediately changed my opinion of like, hey, good job, new guy, to like, yeah, no, you're legit. You're, uh, you're, you're stepping your game up. Yeah. You're putting the work in. You're putting, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're on a higher level in my mind now because you're you're willing to smoke me pretty goddamn hard. <laughs> so. Yeah. Uh, I remember uh, doing it at uh, Summit uh, with, uh, we had a police officer, I won't use his name, that came to our club and trained with us. And he was 61290, ex pro boxer, big, tough, fast hands, hard hitting dude. And uh, even with the belly pad on, I said, all right, just just fire away. Let's 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 see what what this feels like. And it was on the brink of dropping me, even with the belly pad on. But he outweighed me by nearly a ninety pounds, and uh, was very close to being a professional <laughs> fighter. So he knew how to throw those. You got to be shots. careful where you get hit, though. Too. That's another big factor. Like, yeah. Generally speaking, I'll turn so that I don't eat a, like a hook to the, the kidneys or the liver. Right. Although most guys don't throw them properly because it's kind of an uppercut when you do that. They mostly yeah. just throw in hooks just because it's a conditioning exercise. But I will turn slightly just so I catch it mostly. and hopefully, More on the abs yeah, than on the side. Because <laughs> you, you can do some side crunches and do some exercise to build up your side abs, but you're really the most of what you can do is going to be in the front. 100%. And uh, so the last time I actually did this exercise with this guy I was talking about, my coach was literally standing like five feet away with this like stupid grin on his face. Like you're just, gonna, <laughs> this guy's going to kick your ass. I know what he can do. Yeah. Um, and then afterwards he goes, he says, he goes, that's a good job. Yeah. But maybe next time, let me see what I can do to you. And I was like, yeah, no, totally bring it on. Let's do this. Yeah. And, uh, I think my, my eagerness to like test him yeah. did, was one of those things where he was not, I don't know. I wouldn't say maybe not impressed, but I think it was one of those things of like, yeah, I'm putting you in line. Yeah. And so after class, I I, I was like, here, yeah, take my glove uh, and give me your hardest shot. Yeah. And he's like, well, if I'm going to do it, you're taking it in the ribs. Yeah. And I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> Hands above your head. Yeah. There's nothing you can do about your ribs. No. Your ribs and your, your kidneys and your liver, you're just... If you build your lats up high enough and your obliques enough, you can create a, somewhat of a uh, padding along the side where you can tighten those muscles, but uh, it takes a lot to build yeah. up those sides. Well, the, uh, for me, the biggest, maybe I've done that, but the biggest thing that I have from that is that... Your ribs slightly shift, and yeah. it makes you feel like you want to throw up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, and you can't. I don't think you can get rid of that. <laughs> I can. So, so oh, go ahead. Oh, so his, 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 whole, his whole point was, like, it's not all about conditioning. It's also about the pain management aspect, 100%, too. yeah. So he pretty much went in there. He gave me 50. He's like, this is 50%. And he hit me, and it was pretty bad. And I was like, okay, but I'm, I'm fine. Give, give me as hard as you can right yeah. now. And I think he probably gave me, like, 80%. And he's a professional boxer. So this is yeah. not like, you know, this is not like your your your, your sister's 80%. This is professional boxer 80%. Right. 
and it was it was brutal. I immediately had that like flash of like leaving this leaving this world for a second, <laughs> yeah. and then just like don't throw up, don't throw up, don't throw up. And I was talking to a bunch of the other students after the class, and they were like, "Yeah, the look on your face was just like I fucked up." <laughs> and yeah. I was like, "Well, you know, you should be somewhat scared walking into this." Yeah, like, yeah. Yeah, I was listening to a uh, story on Jerry uh, Sugar Sean. I think his name is MMA fighter. I think he's 135, 145 pound. Um, him and a couple fighters live in the apartment together, and they were heading out to the gym. And they were talking to one of their neighbors, and it was this really big biker, tattooed, you know, bouncer type guy. And the guy uh, um, got brought up. What do they do for a living? And the guy's like, "Oh, I'm a professional fighter." You know, he's a 145 pound guy against this big. Uh, biker type guy and the guy's like really and he's like uh, I've always been wanting to spar and they're like well come down to the gym with us these are professional UFC fighters 145 oh, yeah. pounds and this big biker guy agreed and they came down there and this uh, uh, Sugar Shane's like I didn't really want to hurt him but I wanted a little bit of respect, I think, is what he was going after. And so they got in the ring to do some sparring, and Shane just really went hard on the body. And uh, he said, I didn't want to damage his brain. Like, I don't think people understand. That's courteous of him. That was. I don't think people understand, though, that how hard a professional fighter, I don't care if you're 135 pounds, that, that guy is going to hit Hard, harder than you've ever been hit before. So, anyways, they get in the ring. They're doing a little bit of sparring, and he's throwing body shots. And you can see that it's it's taking a toll and hurting the guy. And he throws a pretty hard uh, uh, kick, lands it in the body, mm. and uh, a little ball of poop comes rolling out of the guy's <laughs> shorts. And uh, the the other fighter was recording it for him, and uh, they didn't realize it had happened right away, and stepped in it, smeared it a little bit, and then when they realized what was going on, they're like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, dude, you got to clean this up." He's like, "It's not me. It's not me. It must have been the dog." And they're like, "No, no, no. We got it on camera. It rolled out of the back of your I think shorts." I've actually seen that video, unless it's just another video that happened. But. Maybe I don't know, but uh, yeah, uh, you know, people don't understand what what professional MMA, professional boxing, professional Muay Thai, professional kickboxing fighters go through and how hard they really hit. You don't want to get hit by a Demetrius Johnson, and that guy fights at 125. Like, he's a little tiny dude. But I guarantee you, if he hits you, you're going to sleep. I don't care how big you are. Um, unless you're another professional fighter, you're not going to take a, a mighty mouse shot at all. I think a lot of that comes down to, though, is like your, your bone structure um, and your technique and uh, a lot of factors like that don't really, those don't really matter how big you are, I don't think. Right. The bigger you are, the better you are. Yeah. But technique and just having that bone density is a huge factor. There's yeah. a lot of women I've sparred with and... A lot of the lighter women, I honestly don't think that the power is there to um, to do a lot of damage striking right. on like a much lar- like myself. Um, I've had some of the girls just rip on me, and some there's there's definitely bigger women out there that I think they could definitely do some damage. But you get into yeah. like the the straw weight women or the lightweights, and they're very technical, they're very good, yeah. but the density is just not there. Yeah. Um, now maybe maybe there's a matter that women's fighting hasn't evolved to the point to really take advantage of what they do have as their abilities. Yeah, but that that's kind of when you come into the issue of size. Um, but 
Yeah, it's. I I I think I agree with you for the most part. And there's the uh, the girls that will stand out in there, like the you know Joanna Jacek and uh, Rose Nami Yunus, and uh, definitely Amanda Nunes and Chris Cyborg. Um, you get hit by Chris Cyborg, we're going to sleep. <laughs> That's all there yeah, is to it. We've got some pretty thick girls too that I've that I've trained with that yeah. they hit like guys. There's no yeah. question about it. But there's a lot of women that just. They hit you, and there's nothing you can do about it in a lot of cases just because they're so good. Yeah. But it stings, but it's not like, yeah, this wouldn't stop me. Right. I think uh, that was the one thing that I battled against when we were teaching self-defense is that <laughs> teaching uh, a smaller girl, which we had a few, to strike, uh, there, there's definitely benefits in girls knowing how to strike and how to defend and footwork and stuff like that. Um, that's going to get them out of a lot of situations. But I never wanted them to believe that their striking was going to put that person away. Because I don't think the average woman hitting the average guy is going to put them to sleep. No, but martial arts isn't... When it, well, maybe martial arts. But self-defense isn't about equals meeting on equal terms. Right. You need to... Like, you're just... You're making a very bad decision if you meet someone 50%. You right. need to be... You need to have something in your favor. Yeah. And I can think of... There's one lady that was training with us very regularly. And now, albeit she'd probably have to be wearing gloves or having her hands wrapped, but I'm sure she could knock out most guys. Yeah. And when you consider that most men out there... Like what, like we're talking about, most you know, a lot of a lot of beginner fighters aren't willing to hit somebody. They're just not comfortable with violence. Yeah, the type of man I don't know. Maybe I'm I'm stereotyping, but the type of man that's going to attack a woman, I don't think is someone who's going to be a really, really great fighter. Maybe I'm wrong, but that's what how I picture it. And to have a woman who could legitimately knock out most men, yeah, in the right circumstance, dealing with a man who's scared of violence and can't fight, yeah, she has the upper hand at that point. And to argue against myself, uh, I don't think they have to knock them out. I think if they throw a punch that stings enough, it's just like when you see two bears fight, right? They come in, they go, hey, this is my territory. The other one goes, hey, this is my territory. And they get into a little scrap. And then one feels weaker than the other or goes, this isn't worth it to fight for this territory. And so they go, okay, we're done. We don't need to die on this hill. You can have this and I'll go have the one over there. And I think that's what happens um, with a girl that's got some kind of training, if they throw, you know, an uppercut or an overhand that catches a, a, a guy in the face that, uh, that is trying to attack them and it hurts enough where they go, oh, I don't want to take two more of these or one more of these. I'm going to walk away from this fight because it's too hard of a fight. If it was easy and they never hit back and they never put up a fight, well, that's what they're looking for, right? They're looking for that really, really well, easy target. Well, it's like the Mike Tyson saying that everyone's got a plan to get punched in the face. <laughs> 100%. I think if you're out to victimize someone and you're not a trained fighter yeah. and they ruin your plan, that's a pretty big reason for you to run away. Right. And just this person hitting you, you didn't see it coming. And you're seeing you got a little bit of stars out of it. That's enough reason to say that this plan is not working anymore. Hundred percent. Yeah. I uh, I just watched so many self defense videos and classes where they are like, oh, if you do this, you're gonna stop the fight. And when they teach that to to smaller smaller people, 
especially women that can't generate that same power that a man of the same weight could generate. Um, and I'm talking about the average person, not the professional athlete, not the, um, the girls that train regularly. But if you take regular Joe Blow housewife and you teach her to throw a few punches and she's not going to, and she's 125 pounds, she's not going to hit as hard as a 125 pound man. She's just not, it's just a, a different design. And then you get your outliers that, that can, but if she hits hard enough that it makes that person think twice about it, that's what you really want to do. But I don't think you should ever tell somebody that, oh, you're going to have the ability to knock somebody out if you just do this. Because it might not be true. Well, I think, so here's the problem with self-defense is there's two issues. And that's the one is uh, you're not put in a position where they tell you that you're required to train this on a regular basis. That's a bad one. Um, I can tell you personally, if I take a month off, my response to fighting, like my ability to counter, my ability to move, my fight C punches awareness, coming, yeah, 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 it goes away. Yeah. Um, whereas if I'm training, like you know, every couple days, then it's all natural. I'm not even thinking in the fight. Right. So that's a big factor right there, and then not to mention like putting in the time to learn how to fight and right. learn the techniques. Uh, and then the big one to me, the second one is you have to actually test yourself in a real environment. It's why yeah. we have sparring in martial arts, even right. if it's controlled, but you have to actually go and you have to like, it's amazing what you do when you're holding pads for someone and showing them combos and techniques. And then you actually get in front of someone who doesn't want you to punch them. Right. It's a much different game. Right. And that's the, those are the two problems I see with self-defense. I like the idea cause they're, they're teaching, um, Essentially, they're teaching you how to cheat in a fight. Right. They're teaching you to do things that if you did in a real fight, you would get penalized for yeah. breaking the rules, like eye gouging, shots to the groin. Um, honestly, I think a woman's best bet is to get on her back and kick somebody in the face because your legs are a lot stronger than someone's face is. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Like, There's some validity in it, and most of the forms they teach, I think there's some validity to them too. Yeah. Just not how they're going about it. And the problem is... You get people. Sorry, you get people who don't want to commit. They're lazy. Mm -hmm. They want an easy option. Yeah. And just teach me the two things I need to know to win any fight. Yeah. And there's people that are more than willing to tell you that this is what you need. They know right. damn well that you're probably never going to get tested with this. So who matters? They're like, okay, right. yeah, just come for one class for thirty minutes. Give me a hundred and fifty dollars. <laughs> I'll teach you like how to be, how to defend yourself and send you on your way. And ten years from now, you'll be able to use it. And it's just not that's not how it works that's not how it works at all no i think uh another part of the self-defense no matter what martial arts you take uh, i was actually talked to this uh talking about this to one of my customers this week he was uh a crowd maga guy he's trained a little bit at uh mike miles here in in calgary and uh i said the good thing about martial arts is it gives you confidence so whether you're an excellent martial artist or a moderate or even uh, a beginner martial artist, your confidence goes up pretty significantly pretty quick. And then you're just, from that alone, you're less likely to be attacked. When uh, a predator is out there, he really is looking for the easy targets. And unless he's a really, really dumb predator, he's going to see confidence inside that person. Unless someone has like a legitimate issue specifically with you, that's definitely right. true. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's the other side of it. That if someone's coming after you directly, uh, you know, a, an ex-husband or ex-wife or whatever, then you you need to be on your. Game. Although I, I'm, I've, I've heard stories of of guys where like literally the only reason they didn't go beat up 
their girlfriend's new boyfriend is because he was a fighter. <laughs> like, I've literally heard guys say that. Like, I would kick his ass, but I know he'd beat the shit out of me if I came at him. What's the purpose of beating up your ex's boyfriend, new boyfriend? I, did, is that going to win her back? She didn't want to be with you for a reason. I Well, I think there's a certain type of guy that thinks that way. I don't really understand it either, but I've heard yeah. it enough to think that it's a normal thing. It's wow. a normal reaction, but... Yeah. I, I I would I, I get wanting to beat them up like uh, I don't want you to have what I want but uh, maybe I, I I don't know but there there's no value in it so if I go beat the hell out of the guy that's it's dating my ex girlfriend well what's that gonna do is she gonna say oh I I was all wrong about you I can't believe that uh, I didn't know you were that tough and I want to be with you and <laughs> I think there's two factors that we're not gonna understand here yeah. and that's how women think and how insecure guys think oh that's so true so <laughs> I I honestly tell you, I don't know man this is people like trying to figure out how other like people who are broken trying to figure out how other broken people think yeah and it's just it's not worth it I think it's it was an interesting point though when you're talking about the confidence you get from knowing that you can defend yourself and yeah. I think there's like the three stages that you're going to encounter there's going to be that initial just kind of hint of violence and then there's going to be that like vocalization the posturing the letting you know i'm not scared of you threatening violence on me yeah and then there's going to be actual violence and i think the likelihood of it going to actual violence is an incredibly low prospect just because so few people are actually prepared to go to that point that it's in, yet so so many people are willing to use the threat of it mm -hmm. that when they're called out, it's like a huge reality check for them. Right. Um, I think the only time you see where people are going to step into a violent situation without putting a lot of thought into it is when they're inebriated in some way. If they're drunk and someone says, hey, you're a pansy. I'm not a pansy. Look at this. And then they get their ass kicked. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think like I, I, that's definitely a different scenario. I'm thinking of just like your regular encounters where people want to they, they can't want up you for whatever reason and it becomes a threat yeah and i guess the fourth situation would be an actual fight because yeah. it's very rare that it gets past that one violent outburst yeah and i think that's where it's really helpful for women like you have to be willing to stand up for yourself right and you know posture and have the language and if it gets violent, you need to be willing to give the violence back because right. I'm almost certain it'll stop there. Yeah, I think I, I think that's true about about the self defense side. That as long as you put up a good enough fight, that they go, oh, this isn't worth it anymore. Like, what I have to do to gain what I want is too difficult. That that's the purpose of self defense is just or the risk. The yeah yeah if you don't have that ability to do that then you're susceptible to to the loss right but. like I think you know I you think when about violence to women and this certainly it's not always the case but in a lot of cases it's it's one time they get hit they get smacked yeah a couple times maybe I think if a man walks up to a woman and slaps her and she responds with like a well placed like upper elbow to the chin yeah the likelihood of there being another slap is pretty low <laughs> it is yeah. Or like, you know, a nice, uh, a nice low teat to the knee. Oh, like, yeah. And these, it's funny because Just these are like... bend that backwards, do the John Jones. Yeah. Uh, if, yeah. You're, if you're a woman and you walk up to me and you're like, I want to know the two things that I need to do to stop a man, I'd be like... Go for his knees, just right. straight teep to the knee, yeah, or else just an elbow to the face. But you're gonna need to, need to learn how to throw that first. But yeah, hundred percent. Don't the, don't uh, use your hands. Your hands break. That's not good. No. Uh, yeah, and that's really where you know knees are great too, but those are a little more technical to get in on, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And size makes it makes a big difference with knees for sure. All right, something more positive than. Uh, 
um, self-defense and women being attacked. I'm done talking it's about that. It's women defending themselves, right. not women being defending attacked. Themselves. So we have a, a UFC tonight that I'm super excited about. Um, I know you're not... Uh, oh, I lost my picture as I was trying to find out who's fighting tonight. Robert Robert Whitaker versus uh, Yoel Romero, I know is the number one fight. You know what I was shocked about this card is that the um, uh, fight pass prelims are almost as good as the headliners. Uh, there was... Uh, i got to f- bring it back up again to, uh, to find it, but uh, all the fights tonight, like almost every single fight is crazy good actually it's interesting um we've i don't know i don't know if we talked about it on the podcast but we've definitely talked about how ufc has really gone downhill for their pay-per-view events and how as of late you're just not getting amazing cards out of that and sometimes it's it's hard to tell the fight nights yeah no just if, if you're not familiar fight night essentially is the free one that's on just cable tv and the, the pay-per-view is the one you have to pay for right now you're paying like how much is it for pay per view? Like sixty dollars or something like that. Sixty dollars, and I think it's ninety if you want to have it in high def. Right. So you're paying sixty to ninety dollars to watch the pay per view, or you're just as long as you have uh, whatever the cable network is, you can just watch it for free for Fight Night. Right. Yet they've been offering fights that are pretty much of the same quality or caliber, and you can't tell the difference. And someone had mentioned to me uh, not too long ago that they had the worst pay per view in history recently which was, I think, 80,000 buys. Ooh. Yeah, which, which in all fairness, like 150,000 is what they consider decent. So it's not that right. much. And like a million, I think, is like getting up to the record. Yeah. Um, and so they were saying uh, the amount of money that they make off of 150,000 buys is about equivalent to what they get paid from the networks through advertising to just do their regular fight night. Okay. So unless it's like a massive, massive superstar event, they're actually making about the same money that on pay-per-views they are on Fight Night. Hmm. So it, it, this might be a good thing where they're going to just phase out pay-per-views Pay-per-view altogether yeah. and it'll just be a Fight Night, which is free. And Bellator has run everything on network other than one or two pay-per-views and uh, it's a hard to go from running from a network TV show to pay-per-view when people are used to not paying for it and all of a sudden you're asking them to pay for yeah, it. Yeah, and it almost seems like they're trying to go backwards though because I bet you what they're making off of their just... Uh, television shows is probably equivalent as to what they would make off of pay-per-view if right. they were able to get into the pay-per-view market even. Right. I, uh, I remember one time Dana White saying, goes, I make more off my reruns than Bellator makes off their pay-per-views <laughs> or their main events. So, you know, obviously UFC is the number one MMA show uh, in the world and uh, arguably has the best MMA fighters, uh, although Bellator has some phenomenal fighters in there. So I'm looking at the cards. So the uh, the fight pass, four fights on the fight pass, two of them are, could be headliners. Clay Guida versus, um, uh, shoot, I can't remember his first name, Green. Uh, I'm staring at his face and I can't remember it. That's a phenomenal fight. Those are two guys that are going to go a million miles an hour. I hear you on a main card. I don't hear you on like a headliner though. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I, I could I could agree with that like, main card. That Clay is Clay is without a doubt a fan favorite. Yeah, and he is like a great personality. Something that they're getting getting really short on. I think these days. Bobby but, Green. Sorry. Yeah, uh, he's just not someone who I think would headline a yeah. card. He's kind of, I don't know, I don't think he's going to be a champion anytime soon. I'm looking forward to seeing his fight. He's a fun guy to watch fight. Yeah. I'm a fan of his, but I don't think he's a headliner. Okay. 
I can uh, let that one Although, go. in all fairness, I wouldn't have said that Rose was going to be a headliner up until somewhat recently <laughs> either. And not yeah. only is she now a headliner, she's a champion. And right. a champion with like an exciting enough fight that it deserves to headline. Well, and she's she's moving up, right? She's sort of at the, the beginning or maybe the peak of her career. And yeah. Kelly Guida's kind of gone over the hill a little bit. Although, super, super exciting to watch. I uh, He's had a few losses and he's been in it for like 15 years or something i'll be honest clay is kind of in that like poor guy classification for me where i'm like i think he should stop fighting i think i think he's taken a lot of damage now i don't think he has a lot of future in fighting yeah um i think it's yeah kind of just that sad it's it's the old warrior mentality right so if you're a fighter and that's what you did for a living it's tough to pull away from it and just go yeah i'm done doing this now because i think so many of the, the guys and girls that are fighting in the UFC believe that's who they are as a person as opposed to what they do for a living. And maybe you have to have that mentality to be as good as Clay Guida or anybody else on the on the card there to get to that level. You have to have that. This is who I am uh, at, at my deepest. Well, I think it just becomes, yeah, it's who you are, um, especially when you factor in brain damage, which is going to happen when you've fought as much as that guy has for as long as he has, is yeah. trying to, like, he obviously is in the fighter world. That's right. that's who he probably spends a lot, he's uh, probably around a lot of fighters, around, like, the apex of that, too. Like, just about any gym in the world would be happy to have a Clay Guida as a, one of their guys that trains there. Yeah. But the problem is, as I can tell you from being in the fight world, is that if you're not actually competing as a fighter, you're not in the same caliber as the guys in the gym that are competing. Com- competition is a huge factor. Like, it doesn't matter how good you are. It matters how good your last fight was. Right. And I'm someone who I don't compete. I'm not going to compete. And that's going to always keep me segregated to the, like, recreational fighters from the pro fighters. It doesn't right. matter if I could beat them or not. Right. It matters of what my last fight was. That's right. And and I think in a lot of clubs, uh, people like you are super valuable and fighters find people like you super valuable as a, as a good sparring partner, as a good training partner, as a, oh, yeah. a I motivator. Get, I get all the new guys. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all right. So uh, two other fights on there, Santiago, Iga, um, Crowder, and Coulter are both all right fights, good fights. We'll find out how good they really are. But the the headliner for the um, um, fight pass card is Benavides versus Pettis. Like, that could be a headliner on, on any card. Uh, uh, it's not Anthony. What's the little brother? See, my name? problem is, is like, I think there's some good matchups here and, you know, on paper and all this stuff. But as far as like excitement level, they're not pairing exciting fighters with exciting fighters. I think the Benavides Pettis is going to be a barn burner. That's, that's a bigger name. Yeah, yeah for yeah. sure. And I think you're going to find the headliner although not always, is going to be mostly a guy that's going to be exciting to fight another guy. Like, this is an exciting one coming up here. Yeah. Um, but a lot of these guys are fighting guys I've never heard of or guys that I just don't think are that exciting. Like, it might be a good yeah. pairing, but it's not going to be a great fight. Like, the CM Punk fight that's coming up, that's just like, I I don't really care what anyone says about this making the sport look bad. Like, I love watching Pride, so obviously I don't really care about yeah. the integrity of the sport. <laughs> I just watched uh, Butterbean fight last night, actually, and I, I thought uh, that was... Who was he fighting? Do you remember? I don't remember. Uh, yeah. Some Japanese guy oh, who okay. just destroyed him. I love but Butterbean. That dude is awesome. I, I love, like, I want to see a really great fight between great technical fighters who no one knows about, but they're just amazing. I also want to watch entertainment. Yeah. And that means watching the professional wrestler go in there and try and do MMA. Yeah. And, yeah, I guess it doesn't matter who he fights, 
because the last fight he had was against a nobody, and he just got his absolutely just yeah. destroyed. And, and uh, I'm forgetting his name right now. It'll come to me. He's not a nobody. He just hadn't got the name yet, but yeah. he is a good fighter. It wasn't Northcutt. It was the guy that came up with Northcutt. Right. They're kind of rivals, but this was like his first fight, wasn't it, in the UFC? It was. He got yeah. brought up to do this, so uh, they had been watching him. They knew who he was. Um, he's uh, Gall, uh, Mickey Gall. Mickey Gall, yeah. Uh, he's a phenomenal fighter. He his made his ch- name fighting. Oh, yeah, CM yeah. Punk. Oh, for yeah. sure. Like, uh, I don't know if he owes CM Punk, but definitely that fight put him on the card. He, uh, he's, he's, uh, I think, had one loss after CM Punk and one win after CM Punk, but his game has come up now that he's at a different level of competition. So Mickey Gall is a great fighter, and it was a bad choice for uh, CM Punk to agree to that fight. Oh, I don't care who he fights. There's no bad choices for him. He's there to get his <laughs> ass kicked. He's there to like show respect of what it takes to be like an actual professional fighter. Because when you watch, like I've always said that it gets really hard to tell uh, skill when it's equivalent. Right. So like if you were to take like the worst UFC fighter and put him in the ring with someone who had like was a street fighter, like the best street fighter. Yeah. You would see how much skill goes into being a UFC fighter. Oh, 100%. The you problem, saw that with uh, uh, Kimbo Slice and... Uh, uh, that that police officer that oh, came in. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, like shit. an underground video. It was bare knuckle fight, if I recall. It was, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, they're they're just not the same level at all. I remember coming out from sort of the bar scene and going into an MMA club, thinking I'm going to do all right. And uh, yeah, I just got my butt handed. Yeah, to Yeah, you don't for... you don't appreciate what it's like when it becomes a science right. outside of just like you're a tough guy with balls. Or and anything. when you do it every day, that's yeah. the thing, right? Like when you fight, it's maybe on the weekend. Uh, in a bar or with your buddies or downtown, oh, just the criticism. Like in a, in a in a bar, no one breaks down your technique and tells oh. you what you're doing bad. You're either the winner or the loser. Yeah. Whereas in a club, like after that fight, your coach is like, "Okay, this was not acceptable that you did this." And they right. don't care that you won. They're no. like, "No, you can't be doing that in the ring. We got to work on that." Sugar Shane's coach was talking on the podcast there, and he says, "We look at every fight like we lost." And this kid hasn't lost any yet. When they come out there, he's like, let's look at this as a loss. If uh, if the judges had chosen that guy instead of you, what would we have done better? And that's a great mentality to go into uh, your next training camp or after a fight. Yeah. But, uh, anyways, so like what, what I was going to say was you, you get a fight. Maybe like it's a bad example to say like your Conor McGregor's fighting, you know, like your GSPs and like those high level guys. Like those guys will give you the flair. They're going to have like a really interesting aspect to it. But when you get kind of your average high-level UFC fighter, MMA fighter in general, I can see why guys would be like, oh, I could kick that guy's ass. Because it does look like these guys are just nothing more than your average fighter, but that's because their skill level is so comparable that it's just like tiny little differences that you're right. viewing. And you don't appreciate how well that punch was thrown because it's so fast. Yeah. You don't appreciate how difficult and how flexible you have to be to throw that head kick. Yeah. It's so fast. And it seems sloppy when it's so fast because it's going from one thing to another. You don't see where the transitions happen. You don't realize how good someone's defense is. Like when you look at Wondervoy versus, um, uh, shoot, I can't think of his name right now. Wonderboy fought him twice. But anyways. Tyrone. Tyrone Woodley, yeah. right. Uh, that uh, you look at that and... There was very little striking, but their defenses were so phenomenal and they were so technical in everything they did that it just didn't look like anything was going on. But if someone was off by a millimeter, they were going to sleep. Yeah. My new favorite uh, MMA guy to watch on YouTube is this guy called MMA Shredded. I think he's out of Ottawa. Hmm. And uh, one of the things he does is he'll um, pick a fighter 
usually there's some other topics he'll pick but he'll pick a fighter and then pick out like some of their signature moves or just unusual things that they do in a fight and then he'll show you how it's done he'll implement it and then he'll do an actual sparring like where it's not uh not choreographed it's like an actual he tries to work it into a real sparring session he'll show you the fails and sometimes he doesn't yeah he never gets it he just shows you the attempts and it just doesn't happen yeah um and when he does that, it's amazing to really appreciate because be, you'll be like, oh, yeah, yeah, I totally that looks that that looks like that fighter fighting. And yeah. you're like, oh, that's what he's doing right there. Yeah. I love watching that because it really shows you like just how difficult it is to be these guys sometimes. I uh, talking about uh, YouTube guys, uh, Robin Black, when he does his one minute breakdown of fighters and he shows you why it worked like because he moved his foot from here to here and because his hips were in this position and because he set it up this way that that it's it's almost poetic when it's broken down that way that's i guess that's kind of the nerd aspect i i'm really fortunate that we have um in my club a bunch of uh like high level pro champions like yeah national uh world ufc guys too and uh i was fortunate enough that one of my coaches last week is uh she was recently up for the world champion in mutai unfortunately she early stoppage i think it was probably some people bleed a little easier than others and mm-hmm. it's not necessarily an indication that they're doing badly they just right. bleed easier and yeah. that was her case and okay. it's too bad i think she probably would have she probably could have done better if they hadn't had the early st- anyways uh we had a half an hour long discussion slash training show and tell session about throwing a kick. Yeah. And the whole point of the, the, this discussion was how much you should twist the foot that you're standing on. And we were talking yeah. like less than an inch. Yeah. And that was the entire, of like, if you do it this way, your weight's just off balance. If you do it that way, it's hard to reset your hip. If you do it this way, then that feels pretty good, but only for this part of the kit. And it, it was amazing, like, how yeah. much detail we went into purely about, like, micro-movements yeah. of one part of your body. It blows me away when you're around a really, really good coach and how they can break down specific movements, even for that specific person, right? The the way you teach Yoel Romero wouldn't be the same thing you tell uh, TJ Dillashaw, right? The, the They're just, because of their styles, because of their body shapes, you would change it. And I think that's what a good coach does. You know, for the general masses, breaking it down, like, I think you're probably talking about Boxer, boxer Bitch. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's her... Um, Instagram handle, I believe. Uh, yeah, she's she's a great fighter, and to, to break it down to the masses. She's a great coach, which I find is rare. Um, there's a lot of great fighters out there that, without a doubt, they have just based on who they are and their experiences, have great experiences to share with you. Yeah, It's rare that great fighters are great coaches, too. Right. And, yeah. yeah, she seems to really have... I think she's put a lot of effort into how to be successful for her and really tries to relate that for other people. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. So another fight that I'm super excited about is Claudia Gadelia and Carla uh, Esperanza. That should be uh, there's two girl fights on this card, and uh, that's so going to be one of my Punk favorites. <laughs> I still don't think I would beat bet on CM Punk. I am so annoyed with people that go on and they get mad at the UFC about how it's these freak show fights, and this is like you know this is embarrassing the sport. I want to see not CM, embarrassing no, the sport. I want to see CM Punk fight the drunkest guy in the <laughs> arena. I want him to get in the ring, and I want Dana White to come out and be like, seat number three fifty one, come on up and fight CM Woo-hoo! Punk. Or, off you go. Yeah, like seriously, I I'm totally totally down with that like just bring in some random douchebag who thinks they can fight a ufc fighter yeah. and have them fight the worst guy in the ufc 
being CM Punk. Yeah. I uh, Run Black had a really good um, uh, talk about CM Punk, and and I and I believe it's true, is that uh, CM Punk came in with very little experience into a sport that uh, is very very difficult to do, and he got his ass handed to him by Mickey Gall, and embarrassingly handed to him. Like there was, that was like. Uh, Brock Lesnar versus C three fifty two. That's that's what it was. I have like literally because he. I think he was choked out with a guillotine, if I recall right. After getting pounded for a while, I've literally watched like first day white belt guys in jujitsu go after like a purple or a brown belt yeah. and do better than he did. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, I fully agree. He was completely embarrassing the preparation that he did to go in there. But Brave. And the fact that now he's coming Desperate back. Desperate is what I would put it. <laughs> and now the fact that he's coming back. And so hopefully he's had a, a year's worth of training and he's taken it seriously and he's looking to improve himself and he's going to come in and do better. Uh, the funny meme that I saw today was uh, um, between those two fighters, there's no wins. Uh, so someone's going to lose their O tonight. Someone's <laughs> so, going to get a win. Someone's yeah. going to get a win. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know if CM Punk's got it in him. We'll see. And the fact is, a fight is a fight is a fight. And there's no math that you can do to say who's going to win and who's going to lose. It's interesting, that crossover. Um, I've been following, I think his name is Batista. He's a... Uh, you are not uh, WWE, WWE guy, yeah. guy. Yeah. yeah, he plays the blue guy in Guardian of the Galaxy, the really muscular. Oh, right, right, guy. right, yeah. Um, and so he is, he's had his first couple, I think couple, uh, professional, maybe they're amateur, but MMA fights. He didn't do great. I think he lost one, maybe won one. Yeah. Um, he, but he's gone through, he's got like, I, I was watching his uh, jujitsu uh, belt ceremony. I think he got up to like something like a purple or brown or That's something. That's impressive. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah. But he's doing it the right way. He's yeah. going through, he's learning the skills, he's getting the proper accreditations, and he's going through the ranks. He's fighting 100%. in like local uh, MMA clubs. Yeah, not using a celebrity to get to a big number fight. Yeah. And, like, he's a huge, muscular, intimidating man. Guy's a monster. Who obviously doesn't know how to actually, like, fight, like, <laughs> MMA style, at least. Yeah. And uh, he's doing it right. Yeah. Um, he's not UFC quality. Yeah. Um, but he's doing, like, he's if he ever makes it to the UFC, he'll make it there with respect. Yeah. Not CM Punk, which I don't even, I, I don't know if it's just a matter of because of CM Punk, they're not going to let any more wrestlers do that. I don't know. Or they, they yeah. if you had enough popularity and that helps sell tickets, the UFC is going to let you fight. And quite honestly, if I was CM Punk, I wouldn't have done it any different. Well, I guess in all fairness, he's not a big name. I like I know who he is yeah. from his UFC fights. No, yeah. I didn't know who he was. Before we're not this. big WWE guys either, though. No, but we're also adults. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and judging by our family photos, we've both had sex at least I've had once and you twice. <laughs> So, yeah, we're not oh, virgins What are you, what are you trying kids. to say about WWE fans? I'm saying you're all a bunch of fucking virgins, <laughs> and I will fight all of you. Oh, all right. So uh, that's the CM Punk fight. Uh, Arlovsky versus Atarvis. That's going to be a good fight. I'm super looking forward to Overeem versus Blades. Uh, I know you didn't know who Blades was earlier no, today. No idea. He's been moving up the ranks. I'm sure he'll knock out Overeem like everybody else does. Uh, but <laughs> yeah. You can never count out a big guy no, with his skill sets. He uh Overeem's been been to good places in the past. There's nothing yeah. saying he can't come back. But I think that's not where he's been lately. Right. I think he's somewhere around 
13, 11 maybe, knockouts. Like he's been knocked out that many yeah. times in his career. And that's uh, that's a little scary for anybody. Cause I'll be honest. Like if he wasn't a heavyweight with that kind of knockout record, I would be putting him in like the very likelihood of dying in the ring category. Yeah, yeah. Just the fact that he's a heavyweight. He's probably going to... Uh, um, fare fairly well in this Yeah, fight. that's because of the lack of the weight cut. I don't know if people are, are familiar. When you cut weight, you de- essentially you're dehydrating yourself, right. and your brain has, uh, essentially it's a fishbowl, yeah. and that fishbowl water is fluid that acts as a kind of a padded barrier from your brain smashing into your skull, and your brain smashing into your skull is what yeah. a concussion essentially is. Put a fish in a jar with no water and put a fish in a jar with <laughs> and then, water and, then shake, and it. shake it <laughs> and see which fish fares better. Yeah. And that's what happens to fighters' brains uh, when they do these massive dehydration tests. And the cuts. unfortunate thing is when you rehydrate, that brain fluid is one of the last things to come yeah. back. And yeah. that's why most people that have died in the ring have not been heavyweights right. because heavyweights don't usually have to weight cut. Although we're getting to the day and age now where you're getting some pretty goddamn huge heavyweights. Well, and this is, this is uh, another topic discussion is the weight classes. And, uh, you know, we have the 205 and then it's heavyweight, which is 205 to 265. Very large gap. Yeah. Right. Like how can a 225 pound guy fight a 265 pound guy? That's a massive weight difference. And now, relatively speaking, uh, uh, you look at the percentages and it's not as bad as a, a 125 fighting 180 pounds. I don't think you find, though, a lot of guys that are fighting in heavyweight have a huge disparity between weight. I think they try to pair them up relatively close. I don't like know. Randy Couture fought uh, Brock Lesnar. That's that not was, very yeah, close. That was back in the day, though, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, it's rare that you're going to see like a 205 fight a 265. Yeah. Uh, Stipe versus um, Ngano. That was a pretty big weight uh, class difference. I think Stipe Stipe is only about 235, 240 maybe. And Ngano, I think, uh, diets down. He dehydrates to make the 265. And so... Yeah. And, and Stipe beat him too, right? Yeah. That, that, uh, that was super, super impressive. But again, the, 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 the weight at that has got less of a percentage. And I think if you're over 225, you hit hard. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, those guys. If you get hit by someone that weighs more than 225 that's got any skill sets, it is scary. They're, they're, they're hard, hard-hitting guys. And it's the kicks that get you. Oh, the, yeah, I'm, that's a whole nother yeah. level over top of the punches again. I think the last time I weighed myself, I came in at like 260. Oof. And it's pretty big. Um but uh, I, I've like I've trained I've I've you know obviously I see what it's like when guys catch my kicks and I've caught kicks from guys who are like brand new but they are bigger guys yeah especially tall guys but yeah. definitely bigger guys long too long legs the amount of power they can generate not knowing what they're doing mm. is immense yeah compared to like some of the smaller guys who are trained fighters that know exactly what they're doing what t- it takes for them to be able to generate power versus the big guys that don't know what they're doing yeah it's a big difference yeah. Next uh, fight is Tosanos versus Covington. This one is super, super interesting because Covington's one of those guys that does a lot of uh, smack talking. And uh, the Brazilians, uh, I don't think, are all that good at it. He and was the get... guy that was starting fights with Rogan, wasn't he? Uh, well, yeah, I think he threatened to slap Rogan, which would probably be a really, really bad idea. Uh, what weight? He's DeSanjo, so he's like, what, 145? I think they're fighting at 170. Dos Anjos used to fight at 155. Oh, okay. And then he they he's moved up, so he's definitely going to be smaller in this fight than Covington. Yeah. I'm trying to think of like Connor, what what Connor was when he fought him. It was 155. Eh? 155 yeah, okay. is where they fought. Connor got the belt at 145. Fought. Um, did he fight Dos Anjos? 
I don't think he did. Didn't he? No, he fought um, the other Brazilian guy, uh, the soccer player. Yeah, I don't know. I can't remember. But anyways, uh, I don't think he fought Dos Anjos. But this is an interesting fight because uh, Covington is such a good smack talker. The Brazilians hate the smack talking because I think they're not good at it. And they get very, very offended. So Dos Anjos is coming into this with uh, high emotions because (laughs) Covington has just, you know, smack talked for the last two weeks. Fight culture is really interesting around the world. Um, Like America, it's all about who can talk the most shit and have the funniest one-liner. The entertainment value. Whereas in Japan, if you win the fight and you just have an amazing showing and you disrespect your opponent afterwards, they'll loser. Yeah, yeah, you are just a piece of shit. Right. Um, Like they'll cheer bigger for like the guys like shaking hands or having a hug at the end of it than they will for the actual. There's a lot of honor involved. Yeah, it's honor. Yeah. Um, Yeah, that's interesting. So that guy, sorry, who was it that? Covington? Covington? Yeah. Yeah, so he's in Joe Rogan's weight class because Rogan's a 190. Right. Covington probably walks around at 190, yeah. 195, and will come down to 170 for the fight. Yeah, so starting shit with, like, Rogan, that was, like, a legitimate, like, <laughs> this guy's in your weight class, <laughs> yeah. and he's probably, like, as far as a fighter goes, he's a bit older now, but he's probably, like... I think he's still a savage. Yeah, I yeah. think, like, report card to report card, not factoring age, I think he's a higher level. Probably. Uh, like he has got some serious pred- uh, pedigree behind him. Right. He's also got a significant amount of PEDs inside of him, being Rogan. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He's, uh, we know he takes testosterone. We know uh, he trains every day. Uh, he's big as a house, fast as a cat. Like he. Oh, I uh, think all he would need to do is hit you once. Like he is a one hit. Like. Yeah, yeah. Man, he'll like bust somebody's fucking like liver <laughs> open with that kick that he does. I know. Yeah, when you get the high, high end uh, MMA fighters come to Joe Rogan going, "Hey, I need you to teach me that kick," and then they can't do it, and then they can't do it as well as yeah. right, exactly. That that like uh, not he, even close to as well. Right. Um, that yeah, he he would be a hard guy to beat. And now I think Joe Rogan's got enough of uh, um, what's the opposite of ego. He's. Uh, Holy Dinah. I haven't had enough coffee today. <laughs> right kick to grab him. He's modest enough modest, yeah. that uh that he 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 wouldn't say that he would beat Covington, but I, I would put money on Rogan in that fight. Oh yeah. <laughs> well that's that's where it kind of gets interesting because the the UFC is all about making money. And there is no question if Joe Rogan took a fight, that would might like as funny as it is, that might be their record event, is Joe Rogan taking a fight. Yeah, you know what? When, I can't remember how long ago it was, but he was supposed to fight Wesley Snipes. Yeah. And uh, that was a real deal. Oh, yeah. Um, and uh, Snipes decided against it. Uh, was probably smart on his uh, half. Probably yeah. was smart on his half. I think Rogan is legit. From what I killer. understand is he took the fight, assuming he was fighting the Fear Factor guy. Right. And then when he found out like oh. what he was actually in for, was like, oh, <laughs> never mind. Yeah. Oh, he's a black belt in this, and he's uh, got professional kickboxing matches, yeah. and he's a black Black belt in jiu-jitsu under the Machadas. His yeah. best friend's Eddie Bravo. Well, back like, then, he wasn't a black belt back then. I don't. Know, I think he would have been fairly early. Yeah, like we're talking like quite a while ago. Okay. But he still would have been like a grand champion right. uh, in taekwondo, taekwondo with like one national four state right. championships. He still would have had a two in one professional kickboxing <laughs> record. <or> professional <laughs> amateur, I'm not sure. Yeah. 
Um, and he would have had some jujitsu experience because yeah. I think he's 15 years is what he was saying. So yeah, so definitely. Actually, you know what? He might have been a brown belt back then because he he was saying he was a brown belt for a really long time. Right, and I think that's that's uh, par for the course. But yeah, I I would love to see a Rogan fight. Like I don't know who would be the best matchup for him, but uh, that would be interesting. So if he's he's 195, so I would say. He could probably get down to 170, but that's not a great plan. And he's not big into cutting weight, so I I would say he would probably fight at 185. Yeah, I think it'd be a walk around fight. Yeah, like yeah, they would just be like, yeah, we're fighting at one or a catch weight. <clears throat> yeah, that would yeah. be fine. So who who would you like to see Rogan fight? Oh God, I don't know. That's uh, CM Punk would be a fun one. Co- uh, Covington yeah, would be a fun well, one. CM Punk's pretty close to that too, eh? Isn't he like a 200 ish? Yeah, I think they're fighting at, yeah. at 185. Who's he fighting again? Uh, yeah, actually, that would be a really good one. CM Punk and Joe Rogan. <sighs> Joe Rogan versus Chris Cyborg. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah, Rogan is, like, when we talk about the difference between men and women and, like, the bone density and the structure, right. Joe Rogan is, like, the worst example of, like, how that is different between men and women. <laughs> yeah. That guy is, like, a little troll ape who will rip her arms off and just, like, Shaped orangutan. Yeah, I don't, uh, yeah, I think she, I, th- I see her fighting someone like Mighty Mouse. Oh, that, I don't think that would be a good matchup. No? No, I don't think that would even be a fun fight. Like, she is so big compared to him. Like, Mighty Mouse, Mighty Mouse fights at uh, 135. She walks around at, like, 200 pounds. Yeah, but he's got the bone density, right? I don't know. I still think it would be too big of a difference. It's the, I think it's, I don't know. I think there's a lot to be it's, said for the difference there. It's interesting. We need to throw this to pride to let us know what the weight categories <laughs> need to be for the, di- the, di- the differences. Yeah, yeah. They're uh, alpha could, cat. I don't know. She could fight CM Punk. Oh, that'd be a good one too. Yeah, it seems like he'll fight anybody, right? Yeah. When I was listening to the interview with Kat Zincano and she talked about um, uh, fighting Chris Cyborg, uh, I think I'm trying to remember how the fight went down. But anyways, she uh, she took her. I think that's what it was. She took her to the ground. Chris got on top and fired off two punches from inside the guard and hit Cat. And Cat right away went. Oh, you have those. And <laughs> she's just like, people don't realize that how talented Chris Cyborg is and how hard she really hits. So that, and I feel bad, I don't remember the lady's name. When Chris uh, Cyborg, I think two fights ago, fought that, the, the local mom, I don't know who it was. <laughs> and that woman went all five rounds with her. Uh, that's super impressive because Cyborg hits like a truck. When professional fighters that have fought her, like, man, that's a different level striker. Actually, I just saw Gabby in her last fight, and Gabby actually fought like a bigger girl, like an yeah. fat, but like like bigger proportionate girl, right. and she did pretty good. Yeah. So it's kind of like it's looking like there are women out there that are in that. It's not just Gabby and Cyborg. So No, no. Uh, Holly Holmes is fighting tonight. Yes, yeah. She hits hard. Uh, um, well, she did quite well against Cyborg. She did, yeah. yeah. I, uh, super, super interesting for today's card. I'm, I'm very, very excited. Actually, you know what was interesting recently? I can't remember who it was. It was one of the bigger female uh, fighters. She fought in that bare knuckle thing recently last weekend. Um, oh, geez. What's her name? Is this the one that Robin Black is doing the commentary for? Uh, I don't know. It's the bare knuckle 
something. It's the British one, right? Uh, I think they had accents, if I recall. Yeah. Um, she posted pictures of her hands because she broke them in the fight. Yeah. They're still taping, but yep. uh, I don't think they're allowed as much tape as like a boxer. Oh, actually, you know, if I recall looking at the picture. Oh, that's right. It's just wrists. It's thumbs just and wrists. wrists. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a very different uh, fighting style to... Uh, oh, it was Beck Rawlings. Beck Rawlings, I right. love Beck Rawlings. I think she is awesome. So uh, the, the big thing with people have talked about bare-knuckle boxing of why it's a better idea is because you don't have the gloves. And what a lot of people don't realize is that in fighting, the reason why you wear pads is to protect yourself, not your opponent. Correct. So we're not wearing boxing gloves because we don't want to hurt the guy we're punching. We don't want to hurt our hands is right. why we're wearing them. And people said, well, with bare-knuckle boxing, it only makes sense that you're not going to hit as hard and you're going to be a lot more selective and tactical with who you hit because your hands it can only take so much abuse before they break. Right. And as a result, you're going to see a lot more technical striking. And as far as safety goes, you can't tell me that someone's heel or shin being thrown from a much stronger 100%. limb with yeah. much more leverage is less dangerous than no, fist. No, no. I, I would 100% rather take bare knuckles to the face than a shin to the face yeah. or an elbow to the face. Like, I... The power that comes out of your elbows and your shins is probably not much less than what happens when someone hits you with a baseball bat. Oh, absolutely. Right? You cannot tell me that like someone my size throwing my shin at your face yeah. is any less than a baseball bat for It's the like a Louisville person. slugger in the face. That's what yep. it is. And there's no pads on it. No nope. pads at all. And so the reason for the gloves is, one, for entertainment – uh, and we're not talking like just like taking a bat and bonking someone. We're talking like full rotational swing because that's yeah. what you're getting from a leg. Home run. Yeah. That's what you're looking at. Uh, so yeah, it, it's it's a little bit silly that uh, that they're they're um, have fought against us mm-hmm. fighting bare knuckles for a long time. Well, you would see such high level technical striking if everybody was bare fisted because they can't just do those Chuck Liddell overhand rights and and risk donking somebody on top of the head. And that was the theory. Can't. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone was like, well, if you're going to break your hands, if you strike hard, you're going to be more strategic about your striking. Yeah. Then they forgot that we're dealing with fighters who are completely <laughs> fucking insane yeah. and will win at any cost. Yeah. And so Beck had pictures of her hands after the fight and she just smashed the shit out of her hands. Wow. She was just, it wasn't a matter of like, I'm going to go in there and be more tactical. It's like, no, I'm just going to break my hands now. But that's the beginning of the bare knuckle no, yeah, fighting, is, right? Yeah. And so they're, they're looking for entertainment. They're looking to be the first. Um, as it grows, just like the first UFC compared to UFC nowadays, it was so well, raw back then. I'm not quite sure if they know how, let alone actually are are training for bare knuckle boxing right. as it is different than regular boxing or yeah. fighting. So they may not be actually thinking about like that. And really it's like, it, it's so true that you fall to your lowest level of training. You don't rise to the occasion. Right. And so if what you're used to is just like an absolute like slobber knocker yeah. and you get hit once and it's like plans out the window, you're going to come back at that, right? Right. Yeah. So yeah, I think that, that definitely, you, you probably have a valid point that it has to evolve, but yeah. Yeah. Um, but then again, like it's, I don't know, like you don't see that. Like Muay Thai has bare knuckle boxing, yeah. but it's wrapped, which really isn't bare knuckle. No, that's true. If you're going to protect the bones in the hand, then uh, you might as well put gloves on. Yeah. Because it like makes if you look at it, like Senchai's got some amazing bare knuckle fights or yeah. no glove fight or whatever they call them, but they're so heavily wrapped that they're, they're just a slightly like a hair under MMA gloves. Yeah. No, I agree. They're probably like a two ounce. I would like to see them. Um, 
remove a lot of the rules in MMA, one of them being gloves and wraps. Um, I'm actually, you know what, I'm okay with the gloves. I'm not okay with casting the hand underneath. That's the part that bothers me, that you could wear a glove and say no to wraps, and guys still have to be super, super technical because they don't have that cast over top. And and people bust hands even with that cast on there. When they do those, uh, I think they're allowed like a roll of tape or something like that per hand. That's a lot of freaking tape going on there, plus the gauze. and. and I think the rules in general are kind of stupid, like most of their rules. Uh, like, it's supposed to be a fight, yeah, right? The putting, and I get they had to do it to make it mainstream and to appease the, the politicians. Well, I've also heard the argument, though, if we're supposed to make this as realistic as possible, we shouldn't have weight classes. Well, yeah, yeah, I uh, and that's what they had in the beginning, um, and as the skill level went up, they had to kind of even it up a little bit, because two guys with the exact same skill limit, but skill it is a, level. But it is a competition, right? Yeah. So yeah. you got to have to kind of it's a competition based on reality. Right. It's a competition. So you kind of have to walk that line. So I'm not sure. I'm not, I don't know. But I think a lot of the strikes that are illegal make no sense. Like, obviously, there's the 12 to 6 elbow. That's completely... I think everyone will agree that's totally stupid. Yeah. Um, and then, like... Striking on the ground. Striking or on the ground. Or kicking a downed kicking, opponent. Yeah, definitely yeah. kicking a down opponent. Uh, like, when you look at, like, what Cyborg Santo- Santos had done to his skull from a knee, which was a totally legal move. Oh, yeah. And you're going to tell me that you can't kick from the ground. Well, in Pride, they did it all the time, right? You watch Vandalay Silver soccer kick some guy in the head so hard he stood up. Like <laughs> those guys, and and that guy survived. And it's a choice. It makes you fight very, very differently. Same when strikes to the back of the head. That's a crazy rule. If you put that rule in, it would change the ground game dramatically. Oh, absolutely. And I, 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 it's hard to say. The one that I kind of, I'm not sure about is groin strikes, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, a fight's a fight, and, and we saw, I can't remember what his name is now, from UFC 2 or 3, oh, maybe it was even the first one, uh, where he ate like five or six big groin strikes, that Japanese guy in the, yeah. the red shorts, um, uh, and it stopped the fight. But that's what it is. It's a fight. It's to make the other person stop. Yeah. And uh, how do you do that? Well, you do what you need to in mm-hmm. a life or death situation. Alpha Cat Zingano, uh, even though there's rules in the fight, she has it in her mind that she's going over there fighting over the last bone. That it's yeah, between I her think and the other competitor, and she's not leaving without that bone. I think, yeah, I guess you draw the line where causing actual Irreparable, irreparable damn. I don't know whatever that word is. Yeah. Non-fixable damage. <laughs> when it, when that's going to be like essentially the nature of it. So if you kick someone in the nuts and you like you know erupt their testicle, that's yeah. something you can't go back on. When you gouge someone in the eye and you like damage their vision, right? You can't go back on that, right? So I can I can appreciate why those are illegal. I guess based on the fact that you're going to wreck something like everything else. Like yeah, you can break bones, but they'll heal. And maybe they won't be as good, but might be better. It might be better. Uh, when we make the new machine that they just slide you through after a fight and you come out with no cuts and bruises and I'm breaks. So looking forward to that. Oh, science, just come on. Let's go. Then we can all have fun. You can do whatever you want. Well, let's try skydiving today. I wonder if like the pussy class will have been so big, though, that it won't really matter for most people. I don't know. Make it entertaining for us to say the least. So okay, here's a question. If yeah. if they invented that technology where you could repair anything, yeah. but it hurt as bad as yeah. getting the injury in the first place, do you think most people would do it? I don't think most people would. I'm in. I know what it feels like to get hit in the face. It's not that bad. Oh, I know what it no, feels I'll like to it. break a bone. It's it's not that bad. I've had kidney stones. It sucks. But if 
it, there was a great reward at the end of that. It'd be like, you know, like winning a fight or being the first to, uh, you know, I, I if I could go that. back on my brain damage and all it cost me was the pain of a concussion, I yeah. would totally do it. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, I. Uh, but I don't know. I think you're right. I don't think that most people would be um, on board to yeah. do that. Well, they I was want thinking such a comfortable life. Like, what about those people who, like, as a kid, they maybe they played football and dislocated their knee or something. Yeah. And as a result, they have a bum knee, and the fact that they're like super obese and overweight and sit on the couch all the time, that yeah. knee causes them a lot of problems on top of it. Yeah. Would they be willing to go and endure the pain to have that fixed when they don't have a lifestyle where they need to be healthy? Oh, hang on a second. Are you asking that the repair hurts as much as the original yes. damage? Yes. Oh, well, yeah. That, you know what? Uh, I had... Uh, kind of uh, like when you break your arm and they have to reset it. Right. It's almost as bad as breaking oh, okay. it. Yeah. I'd still do it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I uh, I misunderstood, but yeah, I totally would. Uh, I, I had... Like, uh, I'm just going like, to say, like, what if, like, the consequence, like, it wasn't just, like, a quick fist. Like, maybe it was, like, it, it cost, like, a year's income or maybe it caught, like, it, the pain or... Yeah. like. Yeah, sure. If it was just something you could have in your house and it took nothing, then everyone would do it. But I'm asking, like, is, the, is like just the pussy sedentary lifestyle that we live for most people, would they be willing to go through any sort of discomfort to have a perfect body again? Yeah. I don't know. That's a different question. Which I is funny because I'm sure they do it for looks. Yeah. Oh, definitely there are people to do that, to yeah. fix deformities. More, more people. Yeah. More people, yeah. Um, remember the movie Starship Troopers? Yep. They did it in there, That's right? That's such a good movie. Oh, I, I don't get why it's not more of a, a cult classic than... I, don't even know I that think it it's is. a pretty big cult classic, okay. but that and Idiocracy are probably two of the most misunderstood okay. movies, yet okay. some of the smartest movies that are out there. And now I'm going to embarrass I've never seen Idiocracy. Yeah, you got to Is see. it good? Oh. Okay, I Did you enjoy it. the Bible? <laughs> I did. Because <laughs> to be honest, it's on par with like with, like with, with the insight. The problem is reading. So seeing Idiocracy right now, I'm sure it's still a really good movie. Yeah. When it came out, though, it was before the world became the way it is right now. Okay. And Idiocracy was pretty much like um, it told the future. Okay. And it, but you at the time you're like, this is so fucking stupid. This is hilarious. Like everyone's like, essentially it's like this guy wakes up in the future. He's a normal person, but standards have dropped so low that everything's a fart joke. Everyone's an idiot. Okay. And they're pretty much coasting on the accomplishments of the past. So just like today. And yeah. Yeah. But it's like dead on. Like it's, it's, the joke is that it went from a comedy to a documentary (laughs) and it is like, there's things that have literally happened in that movie in real life that you're like, it's too stupid to ever happen that actually have come true. Happened. Yeah. Wow. Okay, so, I have to watch it. Is it on Netflix? No, I don't. Well, I don't know. Maybe it is. Okay, I, I'll look it up. And I have it. I'll it. end it to you if it's not. It okay. is like, seriously, I would totally put that up there with my Bible. Okay. As far as like brilliant works. So back to uh, Starship Troopers. Remember yes, when the, the, the better movie or the good movie. Uh, when Smart thinking movies <laughs> with Mark and Chad. Yeah. When uh, the main character, uh, it's been so long since I've seen the movie, I can't remember his name, gets his, uh, I think he got his leg blown off or bitten off or something like that. And they stuck him inside that tank and he had to be in there for like two or three months. And they, he was like underwater or under this goo and it rebuilt his leg. That's 
that's what I envision our future being. That, yeah, you could do whatever you want and lose a leg, concussion, but they're just going to stick you in this uh, matrix goo and you're going to be there for a few months to fix whatever it was that went wrong. Uh, maybe not be instant overnight or just run you through the, the pizza oven kind of thing, but uh, I think it's going to be like that machine. I think it's going to be nanotechnology is what it's going to be. There was a episode of Twilight Zone uh, with the nanotechnology. This was like the second era of the Twilight Zone TV shows came out probably in the 80s. Did you see those? Yeah, sort of, yeah. So there was a scientist that had, had a nano uh, technology where he would inject these microbots into his body and whatever injury he had, then the microbots would go there and just fix it up instantly. Yep. Yeah. And then the microbot saw him, he nearly drowned. And then like, oh, well, we can't have you drowning, so we're going to so make, make him gills. gills. That's funny, I've... Do you remember we that talked show? about this? I've heard someone talk about this recently. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That show, and uh, I haven't been able to find it anywhere. You probably can buy it on uh, the Apple channel or something like that. But uh, I want my kids to see it because that was another one of those TV shows that was talking about the future um, and uh, probably didn't realize it at the time. Like, we know those microbots are coming. Something's coming to Oh, them. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah I... I don't know. Maybe that's what it comes down to. Right now, it's just a magical thing that seems like it's on its way. It's kind of, I, I think, I don't know. I guess just there's three options is that things will get better and better just the way that they have. Yeah. Or we are just going to, like, sabotage ourselves, which we seem to be doing a pretty good job at right now. Or another asteroid's going to hit the planet and none of it will freaking And that's, matter. yeah, the collapse somehow another of civilization. Tepe and everything's going to get buried and disappear. And I was actually just listening to uh, Rogan had that uh, some, something shock. was uh, Robert Shock. Robert Shock, yeah, yeah. talking about uh, previous tech uh, civilizations. And yeah. I guess there's one argument that an archaeologist had of, like, well, if, if civilization was so advanced 15,000 years ago, how come there aren't any signs of it? And they're like, what do you exactly think is going to last 15,000 years to be a sign? Well, what do you consider it advanced, right? So we judge everybody by the knowledge that we have today. So yeah. we're advanced compared to uh, my parents' generation because we, you know, we don't understand the internet better and we can, mm -hmm. uh, you know, do stuff on our phones that they can't do. So we're more advanced. Right. But advanced could be... Um, that there's no homeless or there's no mental illness, that that would be advanced, right? Maybe that gener that that uh, culture back then, fifteen thousand years ago, didn't have disease like we do now. Maybe our advancements are causing disease in in people nowadays with our nuclear power and sending. I guess things the through factor the is like how far have you come as a result of your accomplishments, like your efforts to come that far, not by luck or default. Right. That's how I would define advanced. But yeah, I know you're right. There's different standards. Yeah. But it even depends just, how you measure it. Even just judging it by our standards, though. Yeah. Like, what's to say that an iPhone is going to last 15,000 years? Won't. Right. Yeah. So. Well, and then they found those uh, those ancient batteries. Yeah, that turned out to not really be what they think it is. The Syrian the, the, ones? The Baghdad batteries. That's it. Yeah, yeah. so they're actually, they're, they form, they, they, they function to some degree like a battery would, but they're actually for uh, uh, electro-plating things. I just went from like super, not stupid to stupid there. <laughs> essentially, it's, it's that, the electric process of uh, gold platings. Uh, oh, objects. Okay. That's yeah. essentially what they were used for, a very primitive version of that. So they okay. weren't actually being used as batteries. It was just a, they kind of lucked into what would seem like a battery. Oh, okay. 
Yeah. But still, that's pretty advanced technology. Absolutely. Considering Absolutely, where it came yeah. from. That, um, uh, I, I, I just think that people don't look at uh, advancement or uh, technologies the same way. Like the, the ability oh, yeah, sure. to grow without polluting the well, earth, that would be a great advancement. An advancement like technology kind of comes down to the details, not the big picture. Like yeah. nuclear power is a very complicated thing. Yeah. But if you were to come back in time and look at our nuclear power plants after society collapsed, you'd be like, these morons took some like plutonium <laughs> and threw it in some water to make steam. <laughs> How crazy is that, or, right? Or maybe based on what the, the technologies of the future are, they're going to be like, oh, these guys figured out how to regenerate human tissue because that's how we do it. Right. Is we use a large vat of a saline solution maybe <laughs> um, <laughs> along with like some other natural biological material and plutonium and we put it all together and we do this complicated process and we can't tell if that's what they were doing because it's degraded so much, but that appears to be what they were doing here. Right. So who knows? Maybe they'll put meaning on what we were doing more so than we were doing, or maybe they'll just look at us like we were retards throwing like plutonium into water. Well, and that's uh, I think what's going on right now. The, these people have these ideas of what happened uh, five thousand years ago, ten thousand, fifteen, thirty-five thousand years ago. But there's no way for them to really know. There's a no. evidence to point them in a certain direction, and there's a reason why they're thinking the way they're well, thinking. Well, especially when it's not like an extension of our culture, so we don't have the same benchmarks to define success with. Correct. Right. Like obviously, stone, like mason work, was a huge aspect of how they defined success in in there because that's what they built. That they were able to do amazing things with what we can't do now, really. Yeah. So how they build the pyramids? How did they stand up the towers at Gobekli Tepe? It's interesting. I was from that podcast. I was kind of surprised to realize that Egyptology isn't a science. It's yeah. a uh, it's essentially just it's a historian's sort of field. It's right. going into like what's been written. Right. You're not actually doing any scientific work, and that like scientists have a huge problem trying to deal with Egyptologists because they're they're really essentially just storytellers. They're, right. They're they're defining somebody else's story. That is what they're doing. Yeah. They're trying to define someone else's well, story. Well, and by how that story is written defines who they are in their field. So right. when you prove their story wrong, you've essentially ruined their their the, legacy. Right. Yeah, yeah, which it's is un- interesting. It, it's unfortunate that those, uh, and scientists do the same thing. I mean, we see uh, general practitioner doctors that don't learn the new techniques or understand what's going on with diet, or they still want to use the old uh, uh, diet pyramid where you're supposed to eat mostly grains and no fat. It's actually a really good point to compare it that um, if you're an Egyptologist and you were to argue something that was common belief, you're ruining somebody's career, essentially, by right. doing that. Same thing with a doctor, though, is if you're a doctor and you decide to come up with, you want to believe in uh, something that isn't exactly in the field, you can be putting yourself at massive legal risk. Right. So you're actually kind of punished to innovate or to keep up. It's within, a lot of fields, is true, yeah. yeah. It's within your best your best opportunities to just follow what everyone else is doing, which yeah. is, you know, that's... I don't know. Yeah, follow our rules. You'll make $300,000 a year, and uh, you know, you're going to work 35 hours a week, and things will be good because yep. you paid this much in taxes and, and that. But just, just follow our rules. Yeah. And then the odd person will step outside and go, no, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go try something new. The, uh, the doctor that's down in Panama right now doing mm-hmm. stem cell research. Well, look at doctors. They have, they're one of the few fields where you can abuse your uh, your trainees to the extent that they do and that like look at the residency yeah. and if you look back it's where the residency comes from it's even been proven that that's a pr- that at that point
point in time, that was considered like a really poor way to train people. Yeah. And um, are you familiar with that? I am. I actually talked to that specialist I was in to see about the my cocaine. Elbow. Uh, no, go ahead. Maybe I have Okay, so there is a doc. I, I, of course, don't have any of the actual information in front of me okay. to give you names and dates. There was a doctor years and years ago, like 100 years, 150 years ago. and I remember the story, but tell it. Yeah, he decided that he was going, because he worked constantly, he worked these 20-hour shifts, that that's what a doctor should be trained to do, because that's what they're going to be expected to do. And he was one of those people that they, they there's like theories that there's certain people that can sleep very small amounts of time and still be functional. And yeah. it was assumed that maybe that was the case because that's what he would brag about. And he figured it was amount of like he trained that. And then it turned out later in his life that he was a cocaine addict. <laughs> you can go 20 hours a day if you're doing a couple lines. Right. But and then, but the problem with the medical field is would they, so do they come along and go, we were wrong? No, they don't want to appear to be wrong because they have to be this, like, they, they see themselves as um, the people that are leading our society intellectually. Right. So they couldn't have been wrong. Right. So they, they change it and go, well... What, what we're actually doing is we want to have a, a physician understand what it's like to care for a patient start to finish. Yeah. And that's why it's important for them to do these long shifts. That's interesting because that's what uh, Dr. Kate Riley was just uh, talking to me about because I said, uh, how is resi- residency for new doctors coming up? Are you guys like putting these crazy insane hours in and, you know, are you guys being forced to overwork? Because it seems like that would be hazardous to your health and maybe someone else's. She goes, no, that's not true. Actually, all the documentation states that um, it's better if we work 30 hours in a row for the patient's care, uh, that, that the patients get better care when we don't have to trade off doctors. And I'm like, I don't see how that can be true. I've worked some long days. and I Actually, yeah, there is definitely, there's a lot of research showing higher likelihoods of doctor error. And that's not what they're telling doctors. No. So they're telling doctors, and, and you know, if you're spending 100000 or $150,000 on your education, you probably should believe, or I think most people would lean to believe what they're being told, because I'm yeah. spending money on it, so I'm going to believe Well, it. I think it's really interesting how much of academia is about being told that academia is right. Yeah, no, exactly. That's Question everything within our terms. Right. These are the questions you should be asking. Yeah. And here's the answer that you need for that question. Yeah. Go out there and, and explore why we're right. Right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it's quite interesting. I, I'm, I'm really lucky. I found uh, I a doctor's And a lot town. of it's like teaching them how to make straw man arguments. Straw, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like when, when you're very obviously wrong, argue yeah. against something else that makes them look gay. <laughs> Because nobody no. wants to look gay in an argument. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, I used to do I? that a lot with people. <laughs> I was talking about my doctor and uh, how fantastic she is because uh, she's one of those doctors that if she doesn't absolutely know this is true, she's going to take you to somebody that is. And she's pretty good at vetting out most of the specialists that we go to and and uh, um, getting me someone good to, to overcome whatever I'm going over. So I've had a few really, really cool doctors in the last year that I've met that have been fantastic and, you know, uh, are really open to the stuff that I know and to understanding things from a different point of view, and uh, which I think is awesome. I, those are the my favorite type of people. That would be an interesting thing to talk to psychologist about and I wonder how open they'd be willing to be about it is how the medical community looks at ego because you have this interesting situation where they're they're taught to have large egos to assume that they're always right they're never wrong and to fight for that 
And that makes a lot of sense when you're dealing with life and death situations where you right. can't afford to be questioned every step of the way. Yep. The worst thing you can possibly do is take a situation where this is what you need to do. Like, it's not a matter of that could be right or wrong. Like, no, this needs to be done. And your patient feels that they can interpret that however they want. You can't interpret chemotherapy however you want right. if you're going to do that. Uh, that, which is a whole other argument. But if you're going to take a serious, serious situation where you have to take some degree of responsibility as the patient, you can't be thinking that you have the right or that you have the option to interpret it differently than your doctor. So therefore, it makes sense that your doctor should have that, yeah. that strength of uh, their opinion. Yeah. But then you kind of come into situations where maybe there isn't necessarily, they don't know what they're talking about. They know they don't know what they're talking about, yeah. but they need to give you an answer so that they look like they know what they're talking about. Yeah. Because you as a person, you're not smart enough to realize that doctors don't know everything. Yeah. So therefore, the, the first sign of like weakness they show you, you take advantage of. So therefore, they have to counter for that. So it'd be an interesting thing to talk to a psychologist about if they could give you an aunt or a psychiatrist or whatever, give you an honest opinion about how ego works in a situation where you have to have that ego to be safe, but then it takes control. Yeah. I, uh, I sort of did have that conversation with the uh, psychologist that I met at uh, Camp Praxis. And because uh, uh, they, they're trying to um, duplicate what they're doing. So there's a, an ex-military guy that does half the training for the uh, people with PTSD and TBI. And then there's a psychologist that does the other half. And so they've developed a system that works really, really well. And uh, I'm like, well, why is this so hard to duplicate? And he says, well, most doctors aren't willing to think outside of what they learned in school, where he was very much about looking at what was actually happening and not worrying about what he had learned in school, like, you know, uh, A plus B equals C. He, he would look at that individual and then he would develop what B is going to be. So I'm seeing A, so if I do this, is this the result I'm going to get? And then he would try it. And I was like, no, no, that's, that's not the right way. Or that was the right way. But it was very individual. It wasn't about just saying that, well, if I say this or do this, they're going to get better. Because everybody is so different. And that's the way doctors need to look at it. Is not a general rule, but as the individual themselves. Yeah. And I guess more to shit on doctors, because that's what <laughs> I like to do. I think the biggest problem with doctors is a problem we see with a lot of people. Is that they don't have a lot of passion for what they're doing. They have a pa- they have a passion for excelling, but not necessarily at excelling their field. I think, and so you get a lot of doctors that just simply don't care. I, I definitely, and I've said it before, I definitely believe that most doctors become doctors because they did really well in school. That's what you do when you be, you're well do well in school. Yeah. I ironically, I think doing well in school does not necessarily show a lot of creativity. Right. Um, it shows that you do well in school and you follow a path. Good at memorizing, good at testing. Good yeah, at but you don't stuff. have a lot of passion. You don't right. have a lot of passion. You don't have a lot of creativity because you yeah. found something you're good at and you're pushed towards that. And as a result, you find yourself as a doctor. That's why you do it. And I think a lot of doctors find themselves like a quarter million dollars in debt in a field that they don't really want to do that takes passion to do well. And if you look at most people in this world, most people don't have passion about their job. And to be a good doctor, you have to have that not only passion, but the drive to be a better beyond what your training is. Right. And that's what the being med, med school should provide the basis for you to go after that and right. be better. Unfortunately, doctors like most people today just don't have that drive. Yeah, I think you're right. I think part of it is the system will bring them down that absolutely find out there we're not allowed to do this and we can't say this and don't do this because it might look bad to the rest of the doctor. Like uh, there, there's all these things that I think break them a little bit. We are bit. a world of idiots. 
There is that's oh, that's the problem. Sure. I, I, it would really be nice if we lived in a tribal world where we lived in the groups of a few hundred people, and you could yeah. select those few hundred people, and we could have standards <laughs> based on that group. Yeah, like we are the group of not idiots, and we are, we believe in accountability. Yeah. So our laws are a lot more lenient because yeah. when you fuck up here, it's your fault. Right. Where uh, if that wasn't good for you, you could go in the video game tribe and just play games and, you know, go find food when you need it. We call that the whole tribe <laughs> because we don't want to have to worry about digging a hole for you when you die from not surviving. Yeah, yeah. Oh, we got a plane going over. I could actually hear that on the mic. Oh, sensitive. Speech. Well, so we're at two hours, believe it or not. Unbelievable. Um, I don't even know if we had a topic for this one, eh? We kind of just... I don't think we really did, yeah, This is our okay. two-hour no-topic podcast. There you go. We Talked should about, definitely uh, market it that way because I'm, I think that'll sell us. I'll put it in the title: the two-hour no-topic podcast. That'll get what'll get saved as mystery topic. Mystery topic. So what did and I want to know the today? The mystery was nothing. <laughs> we you scammed go. you for two hours. You listen to us just talk about shit. Um, I don't know if you can call it a scam if we didn't take anything from them. We, we two hours of their time. Two hours of their time. <laughs> Still better than two hours of playing video games. Well, they might have played video games while they did this. True enough. We hope that if you're playing video games, you're at least multitasking. I hope that we distracted you from bad traffic or a shitty job. I hope you're a doctor playing video games right now. (laughs) Fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) So this is I Want to Know with Chad and Mark. Uh, We'll be back next week with another podcast. And And maybe even a topic. uh, And or a guest. Uh, who knows? We, uh, we're we getting closer to our goal of actually uploading everything, having a website, having our social media in place. When that's all ready to go, we can uh, really truly launch and uh, bring in some guests and have something exciting for the future. So I want to know. I want to know too. All right. Let's go. Let's watch some fights. Eat some food. Oh, food, and, yes. And uh, yeah. I Fuck know. off. <laughs>